right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Uh, no Sunday recap this week. We are uh, we had some travel this past week, and we actually had an event uh, out at Gearheart in Oregon. Several of us were out there, unable to watch much golf, really any golf this weekend. Uh, so we decided to sit down. We spent a lot of time this week reading through the player handbook, the PGA Tour player handbook, uh, studying up on it, finding anything that we found interesting, and we just spent two hours going through the entire thing, chatting about it, and having a lot of fun along the way. We learned a lot. Hopefully, you laugh a little bit along the way as well. But uh, it's both. It's informative. It, it's very. It's some some interesting things. We don't. We kind of skip over the boring parts and really focus in on some more more humorous or more uh, informative parts of it. Did catch the end of the uh, Palmetto Championship on the plane. Very tough viewing uh, via Wi-Fi on a cross-country flight. Tough scene for Chesson Hadley. Uh, gutted for him, but congratulations to Garrick Higo. Made a lot of to- a lot of noise on the uh, European tour so far this year, winning several times. And wins in his second PGA Tour start. 22-year-old uh, South African. A lot to download from the week. Uh, I'm still getting kind of caught up on everything. I regret missing not being able to see a lot from Congaree. The course looked like it played really interesting. Uh, shout out to Justin Lauer, our young hitter, for his runner-up finish at the BMW Charity Pro-Am. Uh, and it was, it was honestly nice to get away from pro golf for a week and uh, turn our heads towards the U.S. Open. This coming week, we're going to have a preview podcast. We're going to have uh, live shows after every round like we do for every major. Uh, this this U.S. Open is going to the backyard of San Diego native Xander Shoffley. He made... Uh, Xander made some waves at the Memorial. He put the not only did he put the arm lock putter into play, uh, he's he's already ranked ninth in strokes gained putting on tour, and said it's a technique that should be banned in the same week. Very confusing sequence of events, but he said the the rationale was that it takes the stress uh, of putting out of the game, which I found again very interesting. Good news is for anyone that's interested in trying arm lock putting, Odyssey, the number one putter on tour, just launched its newest. Two ball, ten arm lock putter. Uh, the ten head shape is their most popular shape on tour, and it's paired with a grip that properly enables the arm lock technique and shaft lengths ranging from forty to forty-four inches, even available in a half inch increments. So, Neil's got one. We've been kind of giving him a lot of crap for it. Uh, I know he tried it out, tested it, said it's a good training aid for him. I don't think we're going to see him put it into play, but he found it very interesting. I think he felt a little scummy for it, but. Uh, there's a reason why everyone's doing it. I'm I'm intrigued. I think my next putting slump, I'm gonna at least at least give it a try. So take a look at the new two ball ten arm lock putter in the entire two ball ten lineup at OdysseyGolf.com. Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Without any further delay, here's our discussion on the PGA Tour Player Handbook. TC is with me in the kill house. Greetings. DJ Pie is joining us from an undisclosed location in Illinois, somewhere outside Chicago. Hello. Good morning, guys. How are you? We are uh, recording this on Tuesday of Palmetto Championship Week. We're unable uh, to be watching golf this weekend. Uh, I documented that in the intro. This came up a couple weeks ago when the Byron Nelson was under rain delay, trying to figure out uh, what was going to happen with a, maybe a Monday finish leading into a major. And I put out a call for like, hey, what, what are the guidelines here? And a lot of people sent me the 
uh, PGA Tour player handbook and tournament regulations from 2019 to 2020, which I admittedly, I think I looked at before, but never really sat down and read, looked up the rain rule, and found the answer to my question, which was that no matter what event is the next week, if it's a major the next week, that does not, uh, deter, you know, that does not affect the decision to move a tournament to a Monday finish. In the PGA Tour's eyes, it, it might actually make make them want to do it more. <laughs> so I was like, man, that's pretty interesting. And I started reading this document and just thought, like, holy crap, this is a really interesting uh, thing to read about tour rules. We talk about rules all the time and regulations and all the things going on and how all these decisions are made. And I'd never read it from beginning to end. And I immediately, five pages in, was like, this would be super ripe for a podcast discussion. I think we're going to hopefully teach some people some things. I learned a lot. And we're going to just ask some questions about things we've read and share what we've learned. And uh, I have no idea how long it's going to last. It might last until Sunday. but Because uh, it's, a, it's a meaty document. It definitely is that. And uh, hopefully this is interesting for some people. Hopefully it doesn't turn into, you know, U.S. Patent Tax Code 401, uh, which is very possible because that's that's definitely the feel that you get diving into this thing. And uh, just a couple kind of early takeaways for me was uh, one. I mean, I think the PGL and the the SLG and all that stuff is all very like top of mind for people. And I think one of the big appealing things to that is, you know, hey, there's 48 guys or 54 guys or whatever that are eligible each week and they get to play. And if you're not eligible, you don't get to play. And I think that's very, very easy to understand. I think F1 is very easy to understand. I think the NBA is very easy to understand, like who's going to show up at the games and who's not when the tour has the structure that it has. Uh, and you have all these different, you know, call them independent contractors, call them whatever. You've got all these different uh, ways that people can get into tournaments. I mean, things get so freaking complicated. Uh, and, and this list of how you build out a priority ranking, how you, you know, you have different eligibility for all these different tournaments. I mean, it's it's massively, massively complicated. And one of my biggest takeaways was I don't understand how they don't make more mistakes with uh with regards to eligibility and who's in events and who's not, that yeah. is like, like I, I remember it happening like one time top of mind for over the last 10 years with what Poulter? With, Poulter, uh, yeah. With, yeah. It was either Poulter or Graham McDowell or maybe, maybe twice. And it was kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, am I in or am I not in and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know how that doesn't happen 700 times a week. Like it, it's crazy, crazy, crazy reading all this stuff. And it, it it's, just, it's Byzantine. It, yeah, it, it, but also, I mean, you understand like why it has to be that way when you go back and, and read it. I mean, it, unless you're going to massively simplify everything and make it like, you know, if you're top 125, you get in. And if you're not top 125, you don't get in. Like, it kind of has to be like this. It's, it's really interesting to a very sick person like me. And the, the, the exemption and qualification stuff was honestly the part of the document I got to and just started glossing over. I was like, oh, my God, this might be its own podcast. Like, this is pages and pages and pages of this kind of member versus this kind of member and the order. And so that's, it, that's the good stuff. Yeah, man. <laughs> one of the cool things, though, about like all the tournament Wikipedia pages is you can go and see what the qualification criteria are. And every week on PGAtour.com, they do an inside the field on how the field is put together. And it's actually pretty interesting to read each week on, you know, if you care about, you know, who is in on what quantity. Because sometimes, you know, so Ryan Bram will be in a tournament. I'll be like, how is he qualified? And you go in and, and see how he's actually qualified, and that's actually pretty interesting. I think the um, reading through it, there's definitely some qual some some uh, 
sentences that you can tell were added on to clear <laughs> like some clarifying or qualifying sentences that were added on in certain spots to... it, it feels like a living a living document <laughs> very much yeah yeah, yeah very a lot very of much. notes yeah and then and then also um you know i just think from like like a tournament like the american express right there's um like i noticed on that one uh on, let me find it here in my notes uh winners of the players prior to 1996 and in the last five years so they're 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 working with so many different stakeholders here and oh, they God. and so legally they can't really fuck over you know guys like like if if this was the way it was when yeah. we won the players in 1975 or 1988 then that's the way it was and you you get that in perpetuity for your life now i think they've 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 definitely added it in, in certain spots where if you want to take advantage of, like like the lifetime exemption if, if you want to take advantage of this your scoring average has to be within three uh, i think three strokes of kind of the average score you know average scoring average of of that year the first the very first criteria for eligibility for tournament play is a special exemption exemption it's winners of the PGA Championship or U.S. Open prior to 1970, or in the last five years and the current season. <laughs> we'll take we'll take them both, man. Oh, listen, we'll, we'll, prior we'll, to 1970 <laughs> or in the last five seasons, and then there's a note that says, you know, you if you want if you're in on Ken Venturi, Bruce Kepka, <laughs> come on in, man. We'd love to have both of you guys. Winners of the PGA or U.S. Open prior to 1970 must have made at least one cut in a co-sponsored or approved tournament within the five seasons preceding the tournament. I don't, Which seems it seems fair. That if seems you want, very fair. If you won a U.S. Open, you know, fifty-five years ago, but you also made a cut in the last five years, yeah, you're in. Come on in. Come on We'd in. love to see you. So maybe I mean, but that like there, there's this game within the game, right? To where maybe a guy, maybe one of those guys gets to start in the Punta Cana event, makes the cut. <laughs> that could unlock. Just a hundred percent series of five years riches for him. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and then that, that's similar with like the, we'll we'll get into all this, but that's similar with like the three hundred cuts made thing. Uh, that's there's a lot of those qualifiers about like yeah. you have to have made one cut. Uh, anyways, so I, I I thought that just to, the sheer complexity of it is was fascinating to me. It's one hundred and fifty four pages, which is which is a serious document and uh, and one hundred and fifty four pages with a bunch like a lot of the super interesting stuff like the. Oh yeah, media regs or uh, anti-doping or integrity policy is all housed somewhere else. It links off to all this other stuff. Every or... time you get super re like revved up, it sends you to PGA Tour links for like the anti-doping policy, and that is something we do not have access to. Or Which, like, listen, you know, I get why. We, yeah, a, I get why that stuff's yeah. not public. So, uh, so we'll do a part two once we get access to that. <laughs> <laughs> Any players that have a little beef with the tour that want to uh, select? No, we're, we're joking. We would never encourage such behavior. But it's uh, worth uh, noting this is not the rules of golf. This is this is a player handbook for PGA Tour, and it includes a lot of rules for being a PGA Tour member, but it is not USGA rules of golf. I thought it was super interesting. The first mention of the USGA rules of golf was on page one hundred and thirty-three. Really. And also a quick uh, control command F search does not include the terms independent contractor in any way. 
Well, I did a I did a uh, control F. It includes the term conduct unbecoming oh. f- fifteen times. <laughs> yes, that is that is a theme g- going to be coming in here. It honestly kind of reads like a one giant homeowners association. <laughs> like that's a, God, that's a really good good comparison. Yeah, like we're not listen, we're not doing this to like razz you guys. We're doing it so that the value of everyone's home stays up. You know, you guys exactly. can all play that. Same but rules. the guys that built first in the neighborhood yes. get some preferential <laughs> treatment. Yeah. They're on the committees and all that. For sure. Listen, man, that that ugly color that he has on his it's grandfather did grandfather like, I, I don't know there's nothing we can do about it we've, we've been talking to him about fixing it we don't want him to keep showing up at these events but <laughs> legally he's allowed to do it so i, I don't know what to tell you oh the, uh, the fedex had, cup stuff the fedex sponsorship oh, stuff i cannot wait to get to that that, that I, entire I had, couple paragraphs just made my heart flutter <laughs> Uh, a couple couple other small things. It, it was just very anecdotally. It was wild to me like how long it took just to scroll past the tournament, like just the list of tournaments. Oh, my God. It was just like, oh, my God, there's so many tournaments. It's, it's crazy. And, I, you know, I know this is going to be a hot topic, and I don't want to – I don't mean to lay, lay claim to talking about this, but it's my favorite thing that was in there. Somebody was writing a shitload of bad checks. Yes. <laughs> because there's a whole section there's two there's sections, whole there's two, section, sections. Two, two sections in there about writing bad checks i think we just get this out of the way now uh the fine for writing one bad check is two hundred dollars the second one is another two hundred dollar fine plus you lose your check cashing privileges for six months shout out to patrick reed you've lost you've lost That's privileges and then the third one is a $500 fine and the loss of privileges for a full season, which I hate. And if it gets too bad, they, they reserve the right to permanently disbar you from, from the PJ tour as well. So somebody probably back in the seventies, eighties <laughs> for all these administration fees, which I think we'll get into locker room fees. Somebody's writing a bunch of bad checks, which I hate. I, I hate that. I will say on the check writing front, my favorite part of that was, the rules official has to like approve the, the check. So you got to call, you know, Mark Russell or Stephen Cox or, you know, someone in and basically say, Hey, I need, you know, I need you to, to make sure that I'm approved to cash this check here today, which is, it seems patently absurd for one of those guys, which a lot of people with the, with the JT, Michael Visaki thing, you know, we're, we're saying like, why does JT have a checkbook out on tour? Maybe JT is writing bad checks. Uh, you know, I haven't heard of a lot of other people carrying checkbooks out there. We need it. We need to look into that. We should, we should effort big Mike actually see if that check cleared. I, uh, I reached out to several tour players just to uh, say like, Hey, what we, what's, what's, you know, your favorite part of the handbook. What's something we should look out for a crazy rule. Every single person I reached out to said, yeah, I've never read that. Uh, so tell me if you find anything interesting in there or think I should know. What's the craziest thing you found in there? So hopefully they listen to this and learn a thing or two. All right. Shall we dive in? Let's just say up front, we're not going to read all 154 pages. Uh, we've, we've combed through, found our most interesting parts or the parts that, you know, thought might, you know, people might learn a thing or two. So well, let's also say up front, we, we could be misreading a lot of this stuff. You know, we're, we're trying to understand this as best we can, but it is, it's, it's a dense. thick it's a thick, dense document, so uh, we're giving it our best shot. But if I may say the language isn't consistent throughout it. Like, it goes from being thick, dense, to also just, like, basically, like, yo, you can't do this. Well, like, there's also a lot of, like, formatting changes. Like, sometimes, yeah. like, the headings are bolded, and sometimes there's not. Like, it, it's just such a it's such a massively dense document that, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't envy whoever has to edit it and, and put it together because it would make your eyes go cross pretty I fast. Would Im- I would imagine there's going to be some very, very significant changes in the next few years with the Strategic Alliance yeah. and all of the, you know, the um, 
the exceptions that, that guys need to get when they play overseas and all that stuff. So again, the handbook we were able to access online is the 2019-2020 handbook. I'll I'll tweet out the link to this as well in case you want to in case you need some reading while you go through this episode. But uh, it, it starts pretty pretty basic with just saying, hey, here is what is changing. Here are the significant changes. If you're up to speed on prior handbooks, uh, there's you know the reduction of the field size of opposite field events. They're highlighting the no cut events. Other changes like the Genesis became an invitational before that year. The new Zozo, the new Bermuda, all that kind of information. And then just a full schedule, including contact information and commitment date requirements for all events on the calendar. As you mentioned, DJ takes up a lot of pages in this thing because it, there are so many PGA Tour events. We breezed past it, but I had the uh, I didn't even realize the field size had shrunk on those opposite field events. That's a that's a, a kudos decision, I think. That, that's they were like the, literally the recruiting players. Yeah, exactly. Like look at the bottom of some of those. Like that's where you really the the eligibility and priority ranking stuff starts to get a really good workout uh, when you start filling up those things. So fewer players in that is probably good. It feels death penalty adjacent. Right? It does. Well, it I does. think they were calling some PGA or a PGA Championship and U.S. Open winners prior to 1970 to see if they could get out and make a cut <laughs> to get in some events. Uh, I also thought the the definition of hey, what's a PGA? tour event what's a co-sanctioned event what's a, a i don't know collaborative event or like there's there's four or five different levels there like you've got the what, like the qbe shootout for instance mm -hmm. and how all that factors into the career money list and the fedex cup list and all that stuff is on probably honestly too complicated to really go through or you know it, it's not it's not uh huge to your viewing experience a lot of this stuff is not huge to your viewing experience but you know what else is not huge the dues and fees related to the pga tour players initiation fee 100 dollars. we're going to get to the bottom of this which was uh fedex is giving away 60 million dollars to these players but <laughs> if you are not eligible for that unless you pay your initiation fee to the tour which is 100 dollars. you gotta have some skin in the game man not only that they're gonna hit you every year Annual dues, $100. <laughs> and you better not write a bad check. No, you better not. This feels a little like the gas tax to me, where it's just like, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's wildly like outdated, but like you're not fucking raising the fees. You guys try to do this to us all the time. <laughs> you are not raising the fees on me. I'm, it's 100 bucks. That's more than enough to pay for all this administrative stuff. Well, I thought, I thought uh, a very interesting point, it, it's a $20 fee every year. But you have to bring your own insurance unless you're a member of the PGA of America in good standing. <laughs> and then they they provide that for you. But then reading through the PGA of America's uh, like the PGA championship stuff, you have to be a member of the PGA of America to play in the PGA championship. Hmm. So but you got to think your your boy Omar has got to be coming out ahead in that deal. Exactly. Right? If he's not, no wonder he's playing all these events if he doesn't have to pay his own insurance. Exactly. And, uh, you know, up to a million dollars in or uh, I think minimum like a uh, million dollar liability for, you know, any harm that you could cause during a tournament. Hmm. But you got to supply that on own. Mandatory locker room fee of $50, which I think is every week yeah. based on something I read later in the yes. in the book, which I which I thought was good. Yes. You know, take care of the, the people in the locker room are working hard. 50 well, bucks a week is a, a small price to pay. Minimum, I'm sure guys are yeah, happy to do that. Minimum of 50 bucks a week. Question for you. You think a guy like Kucher skips going in the locker room because mm. it's only for guys that use the locker room that's really interesting which isn't phil has has given out some enormous cash tips uh to locker room attendants in the past as i've understood yeah. it like in the Definitely. in the four digits you know after a win or things like that 
Well, that was the the famous story. If if I hope I'm not misremembering this, but when he finally won at Augusta, right? And all the yes, all the the locker room attendants in the main locker room were like crying because they're like, oh gosh, like Phil's moving to the he's moving to the champions locker room. Like that sucks. We're not going to see him anymore. Uh, before we move on, we should mention amateurs also have to pay an administration fee of fifty dollars instead yes. of the dues. They don't have to pay dues, but they got to pay fifty bucks when they when they register for an event. Which that. again, you know, I, I think for an event with a what seven, eight, nine million dollar purse. I think I think that makes sense. I wonder what I truly don't <laughs> think I understand the purpose of that, but <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I've been kind of racking my brain trying to figure that out. I, I don't I don't know because it says I mean, tournament that, entry fee at? is zero dollars, which means it, I think that means at one point there was a tournament entry fee as well, and that for sure eventually came down to zero. So yeah, why, why when they sense? brought everything under the umbrella? Yeah. I think. A quick break here to check in with our friends, the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's America's top-rated sportsbook. It is super easy to navigate. It's very satisfying is the, is the phrase I would use, the, the interface and just the, the way the, uh, the setup screens work and everything. They got great instructions for new bettors and limitless ways to get in on all the action. And not only that, they're currently putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. All you got to do is pick any basketball team that is still in contention. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. And don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and a lot more all week long. It is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So... Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code NLU for a limited time only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, one 800 with it let's get back to the pod what i do get is like a lot of the you know the monday qualifier fees and and that stuff which are are pretty exorbitant i don't know if we skipped over those already but you know if you're a guy with not a lot of dough trying to play a bunch of monday qualifiers i mean it's it's whatever 500 bucks a piece or something like that 450 yeah. which i get but it's zero need, if you're a tour member but they they need somebody to you know to go they need to rent out the golf course. They need to set up the golf course. They need to have scoring and they need to do all that stuff, which I get. But uh, yeah, just like the, <laughs> the amateurs paying 50 bucks to play in the tournament. I mean, that, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I'm sure there was a reason, but we could probably outlaw that one. That's the, that's the reason why we're able to play for so much money. Deej, you just don't understand. This that's is true. One of the many things that goes into why we're able to play for so much money. That's a good point. And then, so we're, and we're not going to go through this, but basically the full, um, you know, the specific eligibilities for each tournament are then spelled out for, unique situations like you know invitationals and all that and then when we get way down in there it's the rules on how many sponsors exemptions you get based on what kind of tournament you have and how you use them and how you use them on foreign players and and all that stuff and what happens if a sponsor's exemption withdraws does it go to an alternate and all that stuff i thought the there there was a few really really interesting ones in here i thought that uh, new orleans and qbe are both team events and they will uh, like QBE. They it says that the tournament will actually assign you your partner. So you know, I, I think they probably override that and let guys sign up together. But I thought that was super interesting. And then New Orleans, just like how the withdrawal pro, uh, policy works, where if you if you are a non-exempt player playing in that tournament, your guy gets hurt, 
let's say he gets hurt Sunday before the tournament, it's different than say Wednesday before the tournament. Mm. But there's all sorts of there's like a whole page of just you know uh, policy for how to treat the team competition when the one of the team members is not a it's like the Ke- Brooks Kepka Chase Kepka situation. Exactly. So they can't get in as a team and then Brooks withdraw and be like, yeah, go play on your own. And then there's a few tournaments where up to two foreign players designated by the commissioner. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting point, um, which I think those those players have to reach out to the commissioner. Uh, and then the Canadian Open, complete sweepstakes, <sighs> 16 unrestricted sponsor exemptions. Jesus. 16. I mean, that's that's a lot. Like Bermuda has 10 unrestricted um do those carry over being canceled two years in a row do they now get like 48 <laughs> in, t- in 2022 they're, they're gonna have to make the field bigger uh and then wgc memphis i thought this was was a nice nod to you solly uh there's a strength of field rating in there for winners um so that they have to meet a certain uh criteria or minimum for strength of field to get in as a winner on a major tour mm. so you can't just be stacking up interesting you know uh european tour wins that are that are strength of field under 140 or something Mm, like that that's gonna eliminate a lot of people this year it was uh (laughs) it was interesting looking at the wgc stuff just because you know i know we've talked about this a fair amount but the wgc's feel like they have such a i don't know if identity crisis is the right word but it they just feel kind of designed by committee a little bit. And that very much is the vibe when you look at the eligibility and, and how people get into it. And I don't really know where I, where I fall on that, but I think it's interesting on, you know, just seeing there's a very clear effort that goes into propping up other worldwide tours and, and making sure that, you know, they're well represented uh, across the world and all those things, which I, I think is really interesting, but I don't know how that always jives with, you know, you get to Sunday afternoon and, and the bottom of the lead, a lot of those guys tend to tend to settle down uh, at the bottom of the leaderboard. So just some random lines in there, like the, the HSBC, it just has an eligibility category. That's quote, six Chinese players, not otherwise exempt. Like, I don't know how that's, <laughs> I don't know how that's, uh, you know, filled out, but I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of kind of random nationality stuff and other tours. And it, it was, it was worth a read. It was interesting stuff. The party dictates those. The six, it, six, six as dictated by by the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party. Is that right? There you go. It is. You know, as you're saying that, it's it's clear that also within this whole document, and it's a player handbook. I understand why, but like it, it, it's kind of clear how much they the tour is serving the players and 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 serving the sponsors and not thinking about like the fans, like all the stuff you're talking about WGC. It's all about how, you know, the integrity of how we gather this field and represent all these other places. And it just kind of homogenized. It just kind of blends together into this tournament that also, like, fans are like, what the hell? Like, what am I, what am I watching? Same thing over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, like, what, well, what's special about this? And we won't, we won't do a ton of, like, reading verbatim from, from the doc, but uh, just for an example, like, reading the, you know, he, eligible players for the HSBC champions. And this is in case you don't know how these WGCs get filled up. So basically the, the first category is the winner of all the, uh, the past year's majors, including the players is always listed among the majors in the handbook, which is always kind of interesting winner of the WGCs from the previous year. And then we get into players ranked within the top 50 of the OWGR, which I think you, you know, can't really argue with that. Players ranked within the top 30 of the final uh, FedEx Cup points list from the previous year. 
players ranked within the top 30 of the race to Dubai rankings from the previous year. And then now, those, those now we seem get equal. Yeah. Totally, totally the same. Uh, now we get deep, deep in it here. The leading four committed players, not otherwise exempt in one to five above from the 2019 Asian Tour HSBC qualification standings as of Monday, October 21st, 2019. And then there's some more notes there. The leading two committed players, not otherwise exempt from the 2019 Japan Golf Tour Order of Merit. Leading two players, yada, 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 from the PGA Tour of Australasia Order of Merit. Leading two committed players, otherwise not exempt uh, from the Sunshine Tour Order of Merit. And then, of course, our six Chinese players, not otherwise exempt. Uh, so that's, you know, how some of these guys show up. But seeing seeing some of it spelled out, too, like the, the Open uh, qualifying series for the British Open, where... You know the three or four events beforehand, like that. That stuff being spelled out in regulations. Yeah. It's 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 just interesting yeah. to see that you're like like it's it feels like common sense or it feels, you know. But yeah, you gotta you gotta spell that out line by line by line. Because you do what again? I'll, I'll, so much of this stuff is designed around like having a procedure in place for absolutely everything, right? You can't get to this scenario where it's like, well, shit. Now we have to decide between these players on who we're letting in the field when in reality. You know, it should, you know, all these different scenarios that can create, you know, have been created, you know, you, you have to have procedure in place to handle all of them. Tries it can't just be arbitrary. Frictionless. Exactly. But I, I think another another thing that was just kind of an overriding theme of it was just how much power the commissioner. Yes. He's a wields. busy guy. He does everything. It, as it, it may have some <laughs> assistants that help him with some of this stuff, but. There's only a couple spots where the, the COO or the. You know, policy board or, or or whomever makes a decision. Most of the time, it is left up to the commissioner's sole discretion. Basically. Which I, I just uh, which feels very you know, Fincham like c- right? control control F on the word discretion thirty nine times in <laughs> in the document. And then so g- keep going past, and you end up in this nationality section, which the, is the Sabatini the Sabatini rules, just about how what country you identify as what you're playing under, and what I found interesting. There's a lot in this, but I didn't the majority I didn't find that interesting. Other than I've always asked the question for like European Ryder Cup purposes and Presidents Cup purposes, where a lot of where the line for Europe falls. And it's way it extends way further than I thought it would have. Like Russia, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan Azerbaijan, which we haven't run into a lot of these scenarios or any of these scenarios over the years. But I always wondered if some prodigy comes up, you know, from from Turkey. Is that you know, there's a European side and an Asian side of Turkey. A lot of people consider if you grow up, you know, across the Bosphorus in Turkey. Yet, are you is that counted as Europe? Is that counted as President's Cup for international? It just uh, found that little section getting defined out very, uh, very interesting. It's interesting. They're they're kind of going with the, uh, you know, more of the Soviet Union <laughs> style yeah. thing than, than yes. You know, maybe the maybe the map post 1991, 92. <laughs> it would be great to find uh, just some leftover language from like a 1976 handbook. It's West like all, Germany all, player, all players from West Germany. Yeah, will will be exempt. Uh, players from the USSR uh, will be, you know, subject to extreme vetting before they're allowed to play in any events. So on that, the big thing was you can, like a player with dual citizenship can represent either, but there, I think there has to be a four-year waiting period. You stay with, you can't just like flip-flop back and forth. Correct. Right. You got to wait four years since your last international competition. 
representing that that nation in order to switch to the new one yeah and i mean there's you could probably keep digging and digging like justin rose was not born in england he was born in south africa but plays under the english flag but has been consistent with that his whole career and uh yeah all that stuff is is defined out somewhat clearly i would say um love this next part credentials if lost, replacement credentials are available through the PGA Tour headquarters at a cost of $50 per family credential and photo ID card. In bold. In bold. <laughs> I think I might have bolded that. but uh, no, 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 it's in there. You're right. It is very bold. They're in bold. Uh, uh, I wonder how they accept payment for that. Right. Do you think it comes out? Uh, either, either, of course. A, a, Only good a, checks. A good check. Uh, I, I doubt they got a credit card machine there. I doubt they can, you know, Venmo. I'm like out of... Garnish? That week's winnings? Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. We, we need to look into that as well. It's clear that that's been a big issue, though. If it's bolded like that, and you know, it's it seems like it's a bigger issue for family than it is for players. Right? For sure, which I could see. I, I could see kids losing it all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. And, and of course, you know, as everything in this, in this doc uh, represents, like, they wouldn't put it in there if it wasn't an issue, yeah. you know. So something must have happened. Well, it's like Somebody, John- oh god, we're we're getting bled dry, running up new, you know, <laughs> new credentials for for Kucher's kids. We we got it. This is bullshit. We got to start charging these guys. <laughs> well, who, Kucher's who, catching strays today. <laughs> who uh, was it? Jonathan K, who forgot his his ID. I think this was in Hawaii. It was like one of the first events of the year. He, he forgot his ID and then he put his fly down. Like they oh, like yes. wouldn't they like wouldn't let him in the thing. He put his fly down and put his ID on his fly. And uh, God, I heard. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard that. Got mega suspended, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no line in here about about not doing that though. Which that That's could true. be. I think that would be conduct not becoming. All right. Right. I just you know for that that rule specifically seems like it would have been in there after that incident. One other thing under credentials, I thought it was interesting. Tournament sponsors. Provide complimentary daily admission credentials to any member in their in their immediate family, uh, spouse, significant other, children, and parents of the PGA Tour, PGA of America, LPGA, and the Golf Course Superintendents Association. They're looking out for the supers. Hell yeah! Uh, complimentary daily admission credentials will be will be provided to any member of the Golf Course Builders Association of America, the Club Managers Association of America, and the American Society of Golf Course Architects. Family members must accompany the player in, in person to obtain these credentials. I both love and hate that because I, I love that, you know, they're looking out for the Supers, but also like, hey, Supers, PGA Tour golf courses are what golf courses around the world should look like. Let's make it look like this. Sure. Maybe I'm you reading know, too far into that, but I, I think that's uh, I'm I'm coming down on the side of good good on them. Well, for that yeah, one. that's great. It's like one of the few times <laughs> that they actually embrace the rest of the game. Yes. Anyway, so getting down into tournament administration matters, the purse distribution formula, which uh, this is, I'd say, pretty widely known, but I've never seen it spelled out just directly of, you know, they give you an example of a purse of $8 million. 18% of that goes to the winner every week, and then 10.9 for second, 6.9 nice for third, and then so <laughs> on and so forth, all the way down to like 65th gets 0.215%. Uh, which is less than 64th, which is 2.17%, but also jarring to just see 65th place get $17,200 for a week's work. But It's also, yeah, just really wild to see like 1.045% is, you know, going on $100,000. Yeah. That, that's it's a big, the purses are large. 
The work is good if you can get it. Yeah. And then what led me to this document to begin with, the bad weather policy. So a lot of, you know, this happens a lot, you know, just in moving around uh, tea times. When do you move up tea times? When do you Monday finish? What constitutes a full tournament? I'm just going to read from some of this if you guys uh, will indulge me. So if conditions exist which prevent 72 holes from being completed by Sunday, play will always be extended to Monday if golf course conditions and weather forecasts permit. Uh, play on Monday could include 36 holes and a reduction of the field to the score, which has the closest number of players to 60. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever seen 36 on a Monday. I'm sure it's happened, but I, I can't recall Didn't off they, top of my head. Did they do 36 on a Tuesday in Hawaii that one year? They did. They started the tournament on a Monday that one year in Hawaii, yeah. Right, but it was supposed to start on Friday, so it was kind of like the whole thing was shifted. That Monday was essentially Sunday, right? Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if conditions exist uh, which make the, co the completion of 72 holes impossible, the next priority is to complete 54 holes, thereby the winner is credited with an official victory. Again, play in this situation will always be extended to Monday if golf course conditions and weather permit. So that's a, a fallback failsafe. I, fit, last 54, I don't know who what the last 54-hole winner was. I know DJ's got a couple 54-hole uh, wins. Surely had to be Dustin Johnson. He's got like 14 54-hole <laughs> wins. I think he's got like a 36-hole win, I, I, <laughs> doesn't he? Which we'll get to. If, if conditions exist which make the competition of 54 holes impossible, the next priority is to complete 36 holes, thereby... Players receive official money, although the winner is credited with an unofficial victory. Again, play in the situation may be extended to Monday. So no, not official victory if it's 36 holes. I don't I don't recall the last time that happened. Wasn't uh was our boy Keith Clearwater's victory? Was that I would, 54 or 36? I, I think it would have to be official. Otherwise, they would, they would yeah, have reason right. not to invite him back, I, right? I think it was 54, though. And obviously, we're going to get into kind of some of these past champs uh, hanging on for at, at different events. But, yeah, that's one of my favorite things is I think... That's I think the Charles Schwab challenge for those listening. Yeah, I think Keith Clearwater's win in whatever year that was was like a 54-hole victory. And now he's still playing that event every year when he's like 61. Hmm. So then we get into uh, some exceptions for moving tournaments for the Players' Championship. So except for the Players' Championship, in the event of a suspension during the final round being played on, a on Monday when at least half the field is completed to play, the final round will be completed on Tuesday but no later. Further, in no situation would we resume play in order to have 50% or more of the field complete the round. If play cannot be completed on Tuesday, scores will revert back to the last completed round and the competition will be considered closed. So very special rules for the players, which I will say I think kind of makes sense, right? Cuz you got to remember about this this whole you know handbook is none of this stuff involves the majors. I'm sure the majors have the same rules. So I I understand the PGA Tour looking out for its essentially treating its biggest event like a, a major because yeah yeah right i mean i think that it definitely that makes sense it definitely made me happy when it said for the players championship the, the commissioner may in his discretion extend play as necessary in in order to complete 50, 72 holes yeah so like you could be playing the players for a week two weeks <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i didn't i missed that line god they should uh they, they should do that. Just keep going. I'll let you guys know when <laughs> when we finished. We've we, we've entered stoppage time. The conditions and, uh, aren't quite right yet for yeah, a proper exactly. tournament. I I the part that I found interesting about this last part though is scores will revert back. Can you imagine a scenario where final rounds are being played and then you go back towards the the? 
Uh, is there has that happened? That'd be like like what people were talking about at Riv. Yeah. On I mean, I guess it was Saturday versus Sunday, right? Imagine but, you open with a three shot lead, you blow it in the bad weather, and then they're like, "Oh, we couldn't finish." You you actually win, even though you're not winning when you that'd be this tournament ended. I've I, seen I, him do it on like a Thursday, yeah. Right? Like, but it, but definitely never. Uh, I I can't remember any final rounds where that's happened. Right. I thought actually when you were talking about the players and the the commissioner's discretion, I thought. I misread it at first. Your eyes go a little crossed when you start reading this thing. I thought what you were saying was uh, the commissioner has discretion to go more than 72 holes, <laughs> which, which would have been awesome. Just that like, would be you guys, sweet. You guys keep playing, and I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, once we're done, I'll, I'll, I'll tap you guys on the shoulder. We'll blow the air horn, and, and that means to stop. No offense, Siwoo Kim. This is totally <laughs> random that we decided this year we're going to keep going. Need you guys to really keep play to the whistle, man. Keep just keep going. JT, you, that's a wrap. We're good. It's kind of like stoppage time in soccer. Exactly. Just... exactly. Um, weather decisions. So I, I found this interesting. Also on Tuesday of tournament week, the PGA Tour tournament director will meet with television representatives to review air times, requested finish times, playoff holes, and plans if inclement weather is predicted or encountered during the tournament at small field tournaments or for rounds following the cut at full field. Uh, events a tape delay telecast will be discussed if play can be started early and completed before impending bad weather prior to the final round the leaders may start on the back nine to provide the network an opportunity to telecast some amount of play by the leaders that was wild yeah i mean listen it's an entertainment product yeah i just had never heard it you know the the television representatives requesting the finish times, which I think I knew, but I just seeing that spelled out was, was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw that at the U.S. Women's Open last week. Yes, <laughs> and finishing at you know two in the afternoon. Although I will say, at, in California, I've, I've been poking around a little bit. It looks like they're doing the exact. I'm not sure if it'll be threesomes, but they're doing the exact same kind of time frame for Tory. Yes, as well, which is so freaking frustrating. That's gonna be horrible. Like what's really? like like what they what's the point of going to the West Coast and seeking out these primetime setups when like they lick their chops at this sort of thing and then they do it and it and you're doing it right up against NBA on a regular Sunday afternoon. It's just it seems so short sighted. On a, on a Father's Day Sunday afternoon. Also, I was I was already man. I was already planning my Father's Day around. Go play some golf, cook out, and then you got the you got the whole evening to watch golf. But apparently, that's blown up. Did you? Not you good. And, you and me both, man. Hate that. I'm I'm guessing it's again pandemic related in that Olympics got delayed a year yeah. and Fox bailed on their contract and now NBC has an Olympics and all these USGA contracts in the same year, which is not planned, but. It does suck. Course conditions. The condition of the golf course must allow the competition to be conducted under the rules of golf. The lift clean and place rule may be put into effect under extreme circumstances. Extreme. Extreme. Extreme circumstances for lift clean and place. It might rain. Let's go lift clean and place. That's the. That's... How, how many extreme circumstances have we had in the past year? Like many. 30 or 35? I mean, DJ, we're living in extreme times. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's climate change, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just outrageous out there. Cancellation of a started round. If some players begin a round under extremely adverse weather conditions, conditions subsequently worsen and further play that day is impossible, the round may be canceled and replayed in its entirety which that's what happened at Kapalua a couple times. I think they started and stopped a couple different times. Balls were getting blown off the green, and they said, you know, we're, we're restarting. Did they restart it at Riv this year? I can't remember. 
They did. I don't not. think they. Okay. I don't think they did. They were they were threatening it, and I think Max had because Max had eagled one. Yeah. Remember, and and like, then it got biblical. Over and it was my very dead like, body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from my cold dead hands, you could take that eagle away. And then all kinds of stuff on you know if there's multiple courses that uh, you know in the tournament, the number of rounds needed to have uh, the players complete one round on each course will be considered. Uh, and in pro-am events, amateurs may be asked to discontinue once play resumes in an effort to complete play on schedule. So that's I know you paid – That's the rub of the green. I know you paid a lot of money for that pro-am spot, but if it rains, you're out. Following week's event, decisions to extend play to Monday will not be influenced by the following week's scheduled event, even when the next event is a major championship. Would love to see if that rolled into players' championship week if they would still feel the same way. Indeed. Tying this in with uh, television, airtimes, every effort is made to conclude the tournament within the scheduled airtimes. In most cases, networks will extend coverage from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. upon request. For obvious reasons, the networks prefer to conclude the event on Sunday by playing 36 holes instead of extending play to Monday. Host organizations are in favor of this as well. Which I thought that was interesting. That pops up a couple times where it just says, Host organizations are in favor of this as well. It's like, yo, you're in favor of this, all right? Yeah, you're, you're on this team. Or like, hey, sponsor <laughs> wants this. Like, you guys got to do this. Tea times may be changed to accommodate television, and a 2 T start may be utilized after the cut is made. Prior to the final round, the leaders may start on the back nine pro- to provide the networks an opportunity to telecast some of the play by the leaders, which I, am, I don't recall ever seeing that, the leaders starting on the back. So uh, that, that might be a little antiquated in there, but then... Uh, Monday coverage networks are given the first option of telecasting play on Monday. If the event, in the event the network declines, cable television will telecast the event on Monday or Tuesday, which almost always happens. It goes to Golf Channel if you if you get extended. So, uh, DJ, you want to take us in the locker room? Uh, just a couple, you know, a couple interesting things. I, I saw uh, locker room access limited to players and players' sons when accompanied by the player. Uh, and then, of course, PJ Tour staff, instructors, working media. Um, I, I don't, I'm kind of speaking out of my, my ass here. I don't know if women are allowed in the locker rooms. I know that was a, a big thing uh, with some of the female reporters. And I, I honestly don't know where they shook out on that. But the fact that players' daughters are not allowed in the locker room kind of maybe tips its hand a little bit it's just a uh that's kind of an interesting interesting language there uh and then of course no smoking in the locker room Hmm. we needed to need to point that out as well players players whose caddies enter the locker rooms uh you know unless to help them only clear out the locker locker at the end of the week they were fined a (laughs) hundred bucks if it happens again they're fined 250 if it happens again they're fined 500 and uh you know. Yeah, it's old, after miscut or completion of the event to assist the player in loading the player's golf bag with contents from the locker. Caddies are not allowed in the locker room at any other time. Found that guy. I don't know. I I, I get it why. Sucks, but it's like it's also like yo, like some of these locker rooms are not very big. They're not, and that's adding a hundred and so however many people in there at a time. That that that's the reason why. And they've gotten by all accounts better at just setting up hospitality and whatnot yeah. for caddies over the years, which that's been a beef that caddies have had for a long time, but it almost seemed like it became on the individual events to like, you know, so-and-so did this. And then that made this tournament start doing this for caddies and this courtesy cars at some events uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you can't go in the locker room. And there's, there's plenty of caddy stuff later on that we'll get to yeah. uh, this, this next part was chef's kiss for me, player equipment to help ensure that players competing in PGA tour co-sponsored tournaments, Use equipment which conforms with the USGA rules of golf. Players are encouraged to confirm with equipment manufacturers or the club maker that all equipment or samples have been 
submitted and approved by the USGA, confirmed that drivers are on the on the conforming list, all of that. I just thought it was interesting, encouraged to, not required to, encouraged to. Hmm. And then, you know, if a player fails to submit his equipment prior to the competition, he assumes all risk of a ruling that the equipment does not conform. But, you know, God forbid that the PGA Tour actually looks at anything or tests anything. Hmm. Which is which has changed. I mean, we can laugh at it and all the the CT testing and all that stuff, but uh, that that has changed at least a little bit the last couple of years, right? I mean, at least they've they've started doing it a little bit. I know they suspended it during COVID and and uh, all that, but it seems like maybe that's going in the right direction, if if not totally there. It right seems now. like they're they're you know telegraphing what they would like to do, or maybe just trying to get ahead of it, but actually. You know, action is not following the words. Yeah. The opposite event policy, which we've run into only only a couple times in the past year. But Who was pe- it? Will McGirt? Yeah, he wanted to play his hometown event and it, rather than play the WGC. Which or, 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 uh, <laughs> He wanted to play Sanderson Farms because yeah. he had done, I think he had won there prior or had a great experience there and he did not want to go to China. A PGA Tour member who qualifies as of the commitment deadline for a limited field, no-cut special tournament awarding official money shall not be eligible to participate in an opposite PGA Tour event should he elect not to play in the limited field, no-cut special tournament for which he is qualified. Hate that. Which I think also transfers to, you know, it's not like you can dip down and play in the Corn Ferry Tour if you're if you're eligible for that week's PGA Tour event. You can if you're they 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 get to that a little bit yeah. later. If you're in the one twenty, if you're past the one twenty five, if you're in the one twenty six, and beyond, you can choose based because you know. Cool, that makes sense because yeah. that way you don't get you know, do have you can kind of pick yeah. which exactly. card you're going for. Exactly. Yeah. Caddies, this is caddy regulations. There's a whole caddy regulation. You shall employ caddies for all practice, pro am, and tournament rounds. Uh, though golf carts may occasionally be authorized by the, the tournament director for practice or pro-am rounds, where, whereby caddies are not required. Caddies shall wear uniforms and identification badges as prescribed by the host tournament and PGA Tour. They shall be paid promptly, too. I'll, yeah, you skipped that one. they got to be paid promptly. Did I skip that one? The fee is the, to be resolved early in the week between the player and the caddy. Players who wish to bring their own caddies to PGA Tour co-sponsored tournaments may do so. Players shall be responsible for the conduct and behavior of their caddies at tournaments. Hmm. Uh, caddies shall wear uniforms, blah, blah, blah. All caddies are required to wear solid-colored khaki-style long pants, which touch the top of the shoe or solid-colored knee-length tailored shorts or skorts and collared shirt while on club property. T-shirts. I, I know, I know this rings. This is hard for you to read. I know. T-shirts, jeans, Culottes? What is that? I don't even know that word. Did I copy that wrong? Culottes? No, no, it's culottes. Culottes. No idea. Never heard that word. Skirts, capris, cutoff shorts, and cargo style shorts are not permitted. Acceptable colors shall be determined at the discretion of the PGA Tour tournament director. We gotta, we gotta pause. We gotta get into TC's uh, altercation that he got in while he was caddying on the Corn Ferry Tour. Is that is that fair? Listen, I I was approved. I was approved at the discretion of the tournament director. I was wearing some. We might need to get the tournament director on. That was the what the Nashville uh, Corn Ferry Tour event. We need to get them on the horn. Yeah, I believe if, it's the Simmons it Bank was, Open now. But yeah, Tron was of course not not adhering to the very black and white caddy policy. He was wearing seersucker shorts. Got called out by another caddy. It was so, so hot. They were they were they were like the lightest shorts that I had. Right. I was trying to 
trying to stay cool out there. The caddy comes up to him and said, Hey man, it was basically like, listen, like I'm not going to tell anyone, but like that shit would not fly on the big tour. Yeah. You got to wear solid color shorts. Yo man, if you ever make it to the show, you know, you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, dude. I'm just out here hanging with, you know, for the week. I just, you know, I, some people, some caddies think they're above the game. And I think, I think TC falls in that category. Caddies shall wear smooth rubber sole, plain colored shoes, preferably tennis or basketball shoes. Permissible colors are limited to white and earth tones, such as navy, blue, black, brown, tan, gray, dark green, and the like. Bright colors that are intended to draw attention to a person's footwear are not acceptable. Footwear with a closed toe is required. Flip-flops, open-toed sandals, and other similar shoes are not permitted Closed-toed Crocs are acceptable, <laughs> provided they conform to <laughs> with the colors very specific. described above. Golf spikes, in all capitals, are prohibited. Do you think somebody lobbied to wear Crocs? Oh, That's such I, a... Absolutely. What a specific call-out, That's right? got to be like Crunchy to, Pete. That's got to be, right? There had to be a whole blow-up about, like, fuck this. I'm wearing my Crocs. Like, put it in the handbook. <laughs> That's totally allowed. I'm not hurting anybody. What's, what's your deal? All right, hey. We got to we make an amendment to the handbook here. This Crocs guy, he's kind of making, making some good points. Caddies must conform to the player endorsement policy. Very interesting. That's interesting. Shall not hit putts. Caddies shall not hit putts or shots anywhere on the practice areas or course except in specially approved competitions. I believe that's in there for the 17th hole at, uh, at TPC Sawgrass. Um, caddies may walk good. unaccompanied on putting greens during practice round days if play is not disrupted. Caddies may not walk on putting greens on any day at any time before or after a pro-am or official tournament round. Also, caddies shall not falsely register for accommodation or leave unpaid bills. That seems like there may have been an issue with that in the past. <laughs> uh, kind of weird that caddies aren't allowed to hit putts during practice round. I feel like that's probably something that happens a lot. Uh, caddies shall not engage in any conduct that is prohibited for players under the PGA Tour anti-doping program. Mm. Thought that was very interesting. That's good. That's that's probably why no caddies smoke weed. I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. Just to be safe. Got to be safe out there on that one. Caddies must carry their players' clubs. Pull carts or the like are not permitted. Just I did. I assumed that was the case. I'd never seen that spelled out. So, we've, we and we've got a conduct unbecoming a professional caddy. As determined in the sole discretion of the PGA Tour. So they can just basically a total blanket thing. Hey, yo, that's <laughs> Crocs gotta go, bud. <laughs> that's conduct kind of unbecoming a professional caddy. What are you doing they, over they, here, man? They can totally suspend habeas corpus yeah. uh, for caddies. We're, we're taking this into our own hands. There's no time to go through the system on this one. Course setups. Again, nothing, nothing too crazy here. Just was interested in how they spelled some of this out. Uh, although abnormal conditions, adverse weather, or venue capabilities will sometimes prevent establishing the desired course conditions, the following will normally be objectives for tournament sites. Tees, firm, closely mown, level, and adequately sized in order to provide flexibility. Fairways, firm and closely mown, varying in width according to course and year-long variety. Greens, closely mown with firmness and speed, varying for contours, grass type and conditions, and predicted weather. Rough. Varying in length and penalty according to course and year-long variety. Bunkers treated as hazards but prepared each day in a timely manner with well-defined margins. Maintenance and irrigation undertaken to achieve the above but modified as necessary for consistency, adverse conditions, and predicted weather. I totally missed the, the level part of tease, so I put that in my notes. I'm like, oh, they didn't put level. They could, they could, they've got a total <laughs> we talked about slate that. there. 
And that would be awesome if they started doing some some sloped tees. You know, uneven uneven tee markers. I think is the next frontier. I'd love to see that change. They did that at Chambers. That that was one of the things that they were saying they were going to do at Chambers, and I think they did. There's a couple really? spots out there. Yeah, players are... loved it. They were big fans of that. I'm sure. Hey, real quick. Sorry, just keeping us honest. You, you skipped past an important uh, important thing in the player family dining policy. I wanted to point something out in there too, Deej. There, there's a uh, there's a note in here which I think is being abused. It says if you wish to entertain a guest, such as an extended family member, a friend, an agent, an instructor, or an equipment company representative, you should dine in another clubhouse dining area. Uh, that's of course talking about the the player dining that's set up. I think there's a lot of agents and instructors out there living high on the hog. I would love to see those guys and gals kind of scooted off to another clubhouse. Uh, the way too laissez-faire for in in the player dining, which I know because I used to sneak into the player dining all the time when I was uh, when I was working for the tour. So I, you know, I'd love to see them crack down on people like myself now that I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Deej, I'd also like to point out uh, immediate family is defined as parents of either adult grandparents of either adult and siblings. So grandparents are getting shoehorned into mm. immediate family here too. Grandparents are kind of getting crowned. Mm. <laughs> Player dining is, it's so nice. It's, it's really, really great. But you know, I'd love to see them keep a little, keep a little tighter lock on that. Better hope the statute of limitations is up on that. Deej, you just outed yourself as sneaking into player dining. I haven't seen anything about being card smart in here yet. Deej. But That's true. That, that might be a, that. yeah, we may have to get to that. Too. Uh, procedures for duly committed players. We skipped over that too. Okay. This, this is where the, uh, PGA tour members in the 126 to 150 category and below may commit to both PGA tour and corn Ferry tour events scheduled for the same week. If a player is in the field of both events, he must notify PGA Tour HQ by 3 p.m. Eastern on Monday, uh, of which tournament he intends to play. Failure to notify will cause the player to be placed into the PGA Tour event and removed from the Corn Ferry field. And then, and then there's all sorts of scenarios where a player who's an alternate in the in the PGA Tour event and is in the Corn Ferry Tour headquarters, they got to uh, notify by 5 p.m. on Wednesday of intention. Back on the core stuff, tee placements and hole locations should take into account the, the following. Hole type, difficulty, and length, including forced carries. Design features, course conditions, predicted weather, variety of shot making and shot lengths required during the round. And then my favorite part, creation of excitement and drama for television partners, sponsors, and fans, particularly on the finishing holes. Hell yeah. All in on yeah, that. Yeah. That, I just, that, it was all very, like, you know, kind of you know, vague and whatnot, but then like very much like, no, no, we might do some crazy shit near the end of the round. Uh, we re reserve the right to do crazy shit. Weather guidelines, pace of play, tournament operations and logistics. Says uh, pace of play. This will not be a primary consideration. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that it actually said that. That's tournament so operations and logistics. This will also not be a primary <laughs> consideration. And then spelled out again, on par fours and fives, one or more teeing grounds may be used. Back tees will not necessarily be used at every round or at all. Creation of drama will weigh heavily in identifying holes suitable for setup as either reachable par fives or drivable par fours. Need to get a little bit of that in the LPGA player handbook. Yeah. They, they might need to in introduce that bullet point. Um, moving around par three. They talk about moving around par three tees to encourage broader shot selection. Um, and then the which, which I will say they, they do a good round job. And they do a good job of that. Yeah. I feel like that, that gets pretty underrated, but there there is a lot of par threes that move around on the PJ tour that people probably don't realize that'll play, you know, 190 one day, 140, you know, 220. Like they I think they do a pretty good job of that. Yeah. So broader shot selection on both all the par threes during each round and on each par three during the week. Yeah. So 
variety on both levels. It's not like Jack's Beach where you're hitting seven iron on all the part trees because <laughs> exactly. they're all 181. 181. <laughs> Sometimes they're 183. Next, we've got anti-doping program. But whole, I was okay. going to say, whole locations will generally be a reasonable distance from the green's edge and from contours. However, some whole locations may not be easily accessible, requ requiring judgment and skill. That's yeah, all, that's it's only sometimes. <laughs> Would love, yeah. Would love to see a little juice pumped into that one as well. Reasonable distance from contours, I found interesting too, because that was one thing that Z uh, ZB said to us early on that stuck out to me. He's like, I was amazed how many like eight foot putts I have on tour that are within the hole. Like you do not have to yeah. play outside the hole. Um, I, I generally find tour pins to be, like they said, not easily accessible with approach hats. They're usually really close to edges, but also in very flat spots yeah. around the hole. Which I think probably has a lot to do with green speeds and, and all that stuff, right? I mean, when the greens are rolling at 13, you can't really put them on side True. hills. Some of it also has to do with the courses they play too. Like a lot of kind of bowls and quadrants on yeah. these TPC courses. Also... Pace of play is not going to be a consideration, not a not a primary consideration for this. So I was excited to get into the anti-doping program, and then it's in PGA Tour links, you know, or <laughs> or www.drugfreesport.com/rec. Hmm. Uh, the alcohol rules I found interesting. I didn't know some of this. Uh, any member found to have violated any of the following provisions related to the use of alcohol shall be considered to have engaged in conduct unbecoming a professional and shall be subject to a significant penalty. Consuming an alcoholic beverage during any practice round or tournament round, whether a pro-am round or tournament competition round, on the practice tee or putting green. So you can't do that. Moderate, responsible consumption of alcoholic beverages after play or during social functions is permitted, but players should know that alcohol-related unprofessional incidents <laughs> will constitute conduct unbecoming a professional. Shout out to Robert Allenby. <laughs> Yeah, I'm debating whether I just have such a vivid memory. I don't know if I've told it on this podcast before, but the Players Championship always used to do, maybe they still do this big um, like gala the the night before in in the clubhouse. It was like Tuesday night or Monday night or, or something. I think it was like like a Sawgrass members party essentially. And there's you know eighty five thousand Sawgrass members, so the, like the whole clubhouse is full and it's just big like. Every, you know, every nook and cranny has a different, uh, like kind of buffet station set up and yada, yada, yada. And so I was there one year and I'm walking around and there's, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of, a bunch of people in like blazers and, and, and ties and, you know, just like a very kind of nice cocktail party vibe. And I look across the room and coming at me is this dude in like completely shredded jeans and like an affliction t-shirt type thing carrying literally four beers like like <laughs> like claw hooking beer bottles just loaded up with beers and it was Rory Sabatini and so <laughs> I, I like have the, such this vivid memory of this guy just floating across the room at me and like that you know I don't know what conduct I'm becoming was but it, it was a tough it was a tough look at, at you know I'd like to submit that I guess uh, PGA Tour member's responsibility to conduct himself in a professional manner, lend credit to himself and his organization, extends beyond the time that the member is engaging in tournament play at the tournament site. Accordingly, the membership should be aware that depending on the circumstances, being under the influence of alcohol at any time in a public place, whether at a tournament site or otherwise, may constitute conduct unbecoming a professional. If you if you're, if you're at the bogey end, sweeping sweeping policy. It is anything you do consuming alcohol outside the grounds could be considered conduct unbecoming. So, uh, is the, that like how far does the jurisdiction 
go on that? Is that like just tournament weeks or is that like, you know, if you're not playing in an event and you're just shit faced in Scottsdale, I think it's anytime black box, man, anytime in a public place. Yeah. The the commissioner again, just he will conduct sway over your whole life. He will conduct (laughs) such inquiries and investigations as shall be appropriate to determine whether a member has violated the alcohol policy or any interpretations thereof. Which that policy is so vague that like yeah the commissioner well, I mean. yeah the commissioner is going to determine if you violated it hypothetically so the the tour is playing at Heritage and you are in a bar blacked out in Scottsdale just causing a scene and you yell at people you don't do anything illegal you just kind of you know you're you're causing a ruckus and you get you get ejected from the bar that's would not that, professional would that, would that constitute if that if yeah. that makes its way back to HQ is that is that punishable I would say so. Hmm. The integrity program. All contestants in PGA Tour events are subject to the terms and conditions of the PGA Tour integrity program. The integrity program, among other things, prohibits players from betting on professional golf and engaging in other betting-related activities and requires players to complete certain educational requirements in an effort to maintain integrity and prevent betting-related corruption in PGA Tour events. Listen, I think that's fair. Don't bet it on is, golf. It is, but it runs a little bit more rampant than you might think in terms of like master's pools or getting involved in any kind of any kind of little fantasy thing or any of that. None of that is allowed. I, I could see that. I mean, listen, we're talking about a lot of a lot of cash here. I, I think that's the zero tolerance policy, I guess. Any you players know. that are listening, turn your Venmo to private. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Next up, pace of play. This part gets a little bit thick. Rule 5.6b states, in part, the player should play at a prompt pace throughout the round. To encourage and enforce prompt play, the committee shall set a pace of play policy. In the administration of this policy, a member of the rules committee shall not tolerate abuse, oral or otherwise, by a player. Such abuse may constitute... Anybody want to finish in the sentence? Uh, Conduct unbecoming. Shout out to Grayson Murray. That's... (laughs) I love that that's got to be spelled out. Shall not tolerate abuse, oral or otherwise, by a player. Unless the player chooses to do so. Yeah. In which case, you know, not much we could do. The first group to start will be considered uh, out of position if at any time during the round they exceed the time allotted to play, as detailed on the applicable course pace of play chart. Any subsequent group will be considered out of position if at any time during the round they A, exceed the allotted time to play, and B, reach a par three hole that is open and free of play, reach a par four hole and have not played a stroke from the teeing ground before the hole is open and free of play or reach a par five hole and all players have not played a stroke from the teeing ground before the hole is open and free of play. That that next note, though, the committee reserves the right to time a group when the committee deems it necessary. Further, if a player is determined by the rules committee to be unreasonably slow, he may be timed individually at the rules committee's dis- discretion regardless of whether his group is out of position. So, like, yo, everything we just said doesn't even matter if we think you're slow. We can time you anyway. It's the eye test, man. (laughs) You got to pass the eye test. When the rules committee determines that a group is starting to fall behind or is just out of position, the group will receive a warning. Such warning will be given as soon as possible and given only once during a round. Uh, In some circumstances, the committee may commence timing, like you said, without having given such a warning, including when a group has already fallen significantly behind and or is affecting other groups. Which I wonder in this too, I, I'm guessing this falls into that judgment part of like, if you got a lost ball or if you got to go back to the tee or if you take 15 minutes for a ruling, what are the rules on getting back into position there? Yeah, I think, I think there's some fungibility there, right? I mean, I think there's a little, I think there's some grace periods for stuff like that. Yeah. 
I don't know. It just like if you're having a, just a tough day back there and you get two holes behind, like is that on you to get back up to pace? Like that, you know, even if you're not playing slow, you're just like hitting a ton of shots. Like that happens sometimes. So it's true. I don't know. And then just a bunch of stuff on when the timing of a stroke, uh, when you know, you get a little leeway when you're the first to play into a green, first to play on the greens. Uh, but in general, a player's permitted 40 seconds to play a stroke and an extra 10 seconds when you're the first one uh, to go. And then getting into the penalties, the first offense, one timing uh, exceeding the applicable time to play a stroke, one bad time equals no penalty. Uh, one more timing exceeding the applicable time is a one-stroke penalty. A third offense is a two-stroke penalty, and a fourth offense is disqualification. A fine for a the first timing exceeding the applicable time to play a stroke. Uh, first offense, no fine. Second offense is five thousand dollars, and third and subsequent offense are a fine of ten thousand dollars for each offense. Which and that's over the course of the season. That's a season. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, and they accumulate. You know, Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour champions, regardless of which tour you're playing on, they all feed into the same, you know, kind of system here. But I, I just looking at those numbers and, and thinking about and hearing, you know, what people say, like that, I don't think those numbers are enough to scare anyone to into speeding up, right? You're going to continue to push the boundaries. You're not fearing the cash going out of your wallet. You fear the strokes. Well, I think, ti- so on the next section, though, timing's cumulative during the season. First through ninth offense, being out of position in time, no fine. 10th offense, 25K. 11th and subsequent offenses, 5K per offense. And then the big thing, too, is I think the following year, your fines get doubled, hmm. which I thought was interesting. Which that's but timing kind of dig that timing's also not individual. Like that, if you end up in a bad group and your yeah. group gets timed, like that counts individually for you. So I've heard slow players be like, yeah, I mean, like six of them were my fault, but like the other three were <laughs> not my fault. And then I'm at 10 and like I can't get another bad time. They need to amp up the, the amount of the fines. And decrease, you know, maybe from ten to six or something like that. It's, it's an epidemic out there, folks. Well, and it's just so confusing because it's like time uh, getting taking more than forty uh, seconds is not a penalty unless you're being timed. And like, so like we, we'll see instances on TV where guys will take a minute and a half to hit a shot, and people will be screaming like penalize them, penalize them. But that's not a penalty. I think another thing that's super interesting, upon reaching the 10th occasion of being timed during a season, a player shall immediately be placed within category three groupings for rounds one and two. Oh, I missed that. Which, Whoa, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah you want to get into that now of how, how those work? So, yeah, there, there's basically three categories. There's like dudes who have won, who are, or, you know, like Tiger, Phil, you know, top, top 30 guys in the world, basically. And then there's kind of the 21 through 50 who are tournament winners, but they're not quite at that at that level. And then there's just everybody else, basically. I mean, that's kind of the oversimplification of it. But category one's big. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a lot of you know the big names and whatnot. And then category two is basically like the tour members, uh, the new the new guys almost. Or if you're not a tour member, OWGR. Well, there's could, there's three. There's three. Yeah. yeah. And you were saying category two. Category is two okay. is like PGA Tour members in the top 125 of the FedEx Cup. So. Harry Higgs is category two, I would assume, right? Yeah. A, a, you know, not a tournament winner yet, but. Uh, but there's also stuff if you get into like the top 60 in that current year's FedEx Cup points, you can you can bump up to, I don't know if you bump from three to two, I guess is how that would work. But anyways, the, the point behind a lot of that stuff is the way they make tee times is by category. So you're grouped with other people in your categories, which is where a lot of the, 
you know, why don't they just manipulate the tee times for PJ tour live or like, Hey, this guy, you know, like a Will Zalatoris, like, Hey, this guy's, you know, super, super interesting. Why doesn't he, you know, pair him with so-and-so on, on this day on PJ tour live, like by their own kind of bylaws are not allowed to do that. Cause he might not be in the right category. So that's why you end up seeing a lot of the same guys on PJ tour live, I guess. Yep. Shout out Ricky. <laughs> Getting that pit money. So the PGA Tour creates a section within PGATour.com with information about each member. This is the internet policy. Uh, each player's site, da-da-da-da-da. The PGA Tour recognizes that in the age of the internet, PGA Tour <laughs> members may be launching or relaunching their own websites to support their fans, their sponsors, and their personal business ventures. At the written request of a PGA Tour member, PGATour.com will link to such player's official player site from that particular's page player's page on pjtour.com so long as there is a reciprocal link back to pjtour.com from the official player site homepage. That's huge. You got to get I mean, that that's, loading all, that's all SEO, man. You got to get the backlinks. You got <laughs> you to get, you know, you, you scratch my back, we'll scratch yours. In addition to linking capabilities in the use of PGA Tour marks, pjtour.com will attempt to assist any member in his online ventures. Please contact player relations. That was uh, a big. Uh, that was a big web.com thing, wasn't it? When yeah. when web.com took over as the 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 umbrella sponsor of that tour, it was very like we're going to set up websites for everybody, and they did. That's why a lot of the player websites look really identical. Hmm. And then next and week, out of date, we've got the Corn Ferry Tour exemption for former fully exempt PGA Tour members. You got that kind of. I think that's a one one time use, mm-hmm. right? It's just kind of floating here on its own. Where yeah. basically, if you've been fully exempt for a season. Uh, for like five seasons. Or, yeah, five consecutive seasons. You can fall back on a corn fair a year. Yeah. yeah. Mike Weir did that. PGA Tour policy for payment of prize money to players who make the cut but are unable to complete the tournament. So this this stu- this is I found some interesting stuff in this, I think. Uh, any pre- professional who is disqualified or withdraws for any reason from an official money tournament after making the cut shall be paid last place unofficial prize money as determined by the final cut uh, the player made. So that blew me away. I didn't know that... If you withdraw, you get the money? If you withdraw or you get DQ'd, but after the cut, yeah. you still get last place money. You get last place money. I thought See, you everybody, were SOL. Everybody's bitching about John Rahm. He, you know, he got, he got his you know, he got his last place money. <laughs> he got 100 k too, for a positive COVID test. You get $100,000 yeah, exactly. for that. Wow, I wonder if he did it on purpose. Positive <laughs> COVID test. A cheat. <laughs> uh, a professional who begins play at an official money event without a cut and is disqualified or withdraws for any reason shall be paid last place unofficial money. So, again, I thought they kind of did away with this with the burger rule. Like, if you hit one shot. No, well, there's there's a further any professional. Okay. There's something going on here where they, again, they throw it back to the commissioner and say okay. there's some there's some other stuff later on with WGCs in, in the, you know, like uh, way, ways to conduct tournaments. I think at the very end that basically says, hey, this is like, yeah, page 73, Daniel Berger. Uh, t- 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 well, so in, in basically this is for playoff events or any professional is qualified for an uh, official money event without a cut or an alternate list shall as the tournament of champions or such as the, the, the tournament champions or BMW championship, but is unable to play due to a serious personal emergency injury or other disability, which requires ongoing medical attention will receive last place unofficial money without being required to register on site. The commissioner, in his discretion, may require a player to provide medical reports or other documentation substantiating the seriousness of the injury or other medical disability. Yeah, so, so the, the commissioner's, you yeah. know, a doctor in this case. He's, he's saying, so if, if you skip a FedEx event, no, he, just, he just wants receipts. <laughs> if you skip a FedEx event, which has been done in the past, like you don't get paid for it unless you have, 
a uh, you know a medical excuse of some kind. Like if you're fifth and you want to skip BMW or Northern Trust or something like that, you don't get paid unless you like have a medical excuse. But then, but then it also says if you qualify. Oh, this is just WGCs, I guess. So then the next, if you qualify for a WGC, but you're unable to play due to an illness, injury, or serious personal emergency, you are not entitled to the prize money. Instead, you should be permitted to designate last place unofficial money to a charity of your choice. Which that is interesting. But then I still don't see what's preventing you from going hit one shot, being injured, and then getting the last place money for yourself. I think that's that's where the commissioner discretion probably comes in, though. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, the burger, you can't be as blatant as burger was uh, a couple years ago. You it's got a gentleman's to, game. Yeah, you got to do the right thing. You got to pull that muscle on that opening swing. Oh, yeah, I can't go. We got the mobile and electronic device policy for contestants. Where, yeah. uh, Essentially, don't don't use phones on the course. That's which, illegal. A lot of questions about <laughs> Ian Poulter blatantly like streaming the F1 race a couple weeks ago, uh, how that's allowed. Uh, I think that might happen more than people might realize. That's a lot. And, yeah. you know, even during pro-ams, like you're not supposed to, you can, you can use your phone. I don't think you can talk on your phone though. But uh, yeah, I find that interesting with two. Yeah. I don't know. Some smaller events or, you know, if there's not enough leaderboards out there trying to figure out what cut lines are, what's going on on the golf course, you can't, you're not allowed to do any of that, which is, yeah. You go out to a corn ferry event that's had a weather delay yeah. on like a Friday afternoon and guys changing flights or on the cut line or, you know, guy blows up and like dudes are booking flights from... Yeah. 14t right know? uh but the rules of golf so I, I did find this i always wondered what what can you do during a round like what what can you look at what can you uh, you know who can you call and the answer is pretty much uh within the rules of golf rule three a uh what 4.3 a4 the use of equipment to listen to music or other audio to eliminate distractions or to help with swing tempo or to view videos showing play of player during the competition that helps the player in choosing a club, making a stroke, or deciding how to play the round. That's a, that penalty for first breach is general penalty. Second breach is disqualification. So basically, you can't watch coverage while you're playing and be like, "Oh, that putt breaks left uh, on the 18th green." But I, I almost when I started you reading do that this, before you start playing, you can. Right? But I almost read this, started reading it as so you can't watch videos of your swing to like help you with something. But I don't think that's not allowed now that I read it closely. Hmm. I don't know. This this part was confusing because like it being the the mobile no, electronic devices. You're not not allowed to listen to, to use any equipment to listen to music or any other audio to eliminate distractions or help with swing tempo or to view video showing of a yeah. I, I would say of it a says player making a I mean stroke. that would be. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure. That's a good question, Sally. But like, just off the bat, though, it's allowed. The the electronic devices are prohibited for use on the golf course by players and caddies. Why do you need the specification that you can't, you know, do something like this? I think it's kind of carving out. Hey, there's like the wink, wink. Like you can, you can. We're not gonna, we're not gonna bust your balls here on this. But also, like, you gotta, you know, there's stuff that you legitimately can't. Really can't do that. That's a rule of golf you can't do. Versus like this is our player policy. That's what I'm guessing the difference is. I was very, very stoked to read about the player social media policy again paywall pga tour links <laughs> endorsements this, this was, section this is interesting this was enough i got sent to this one again with uh when speeth showed up at the pga championship with a giant x on his back <laughs> and people saying yeah that's not uh, that that is not allowed and i was like wait why is that not allowed we're about to find out so generally all sponsorships must be tasteful and in accordance with standards of decorum expected of professional golfers sponsorships may that may reflect adversely upon the image and reputation of the PGA tour cast the PGA tour in unfavorable light insult or offend the community or any group within the community 
or be viewed as hateful, abusive, obscene, or divisive as reasonably determined by the PGA Tour are prohibited. First question I have there, obscene or divisive, the word divisive. Does that include bracelets? Ooh, that's interesting. That's, that is interesting. I mean, it's not an endorsement. Right. I, I assume you're Maybe referring to Richie Wierenski's Blue Lives Matter I am. bracelet. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I that's determined that would... by the PGA Tour, though. Yeah, that's, that, true. that's up to them. So maybe maybe the best part of all of this, we I knew this rule existed. I've never seen it spelled out. Uh, season long <laughs> points competition sponsor FedEx. This is this is the piece de resistance. <laughs> this is it right here. In recognition of the unique standing of FedEx as the sole sponsor of a season long points competition on the PGA Tour, so long as FedEx is the season long sponsor of the PGA Tour, no sponsorships are allowed by FedEx competitors, United Parcel Services (UPS) or DHL Express, DHL, that involve displaying the name, logo, or any product likeness of either company on a player's apparel, headwear, golf bag, or golf equipment. However, players with existing sponsorship agreements as of January 1, 2017 with either UPS or DHL will be allowed to continue or extend such relationship but may not expand upon the contractual branding or endorsement obligations in such relationships. Which, again, of course makes sense. Like, the, the FedEx sponsors so much on the PGA Tour. Like, I get it, but it's very funny and, yes. and easy to laugh about. Which, like, if I'm Lee Westwood, man, I am, and Louis Oosthuizen, I'm holding UPS's feet to the fire Hell here. Yeah. Like, we are the yeah. only people that yeah. you can sponsor out here. This thing is $20 bucks if you want it on my left chest. I'm surprised nobody's wiggled in. I know they're not a direct competitor, but... Amazon Prime. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. I'm surprised that, nobody's gone after them and said, hey, sponsor the hell out of me. You know, and that's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. They don't spell that out. I'm guessing that might be uh, something that gets changed. Tobacco, marijuana, no sponsorships of any sort are permitted by companies selling tobacco products, smokeless tobacco, uh, tobacco smoked in pipes. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> However, a player may make appearances for any such company as long as the appearances are private and not promoted or covered publicly. Which is which is pretty sweet. Some cloak and dagger stuff. You could do bad shit if nobody knows about it. That's, that's fine. But just make sure they don't tweet about it. That should be the same thing with conduct unbecoming. You could you should be allowed to have all the conduct unbecoming <laughs> professionals you want as long as it's not covered or. You know, uh, as long as it's private. Yeah, did as Tiger, long as it's private. Did Tiger get five uh, conduct unbecoming for for everything that happened around two thousand nine, or came out around it's that pri- time? It's private. That's it's yeah. That's interesting. I got to think Billy Payne was riding pretty hard for some conduct <laughs> unbecoming. Maybe writing a couple letters to PJ Tour HQ. Our uh, hero did not live up to his expectations. Alcohol. A player may have a sponsorship with by a beer, wine, distilled spirit, or other alcohol company subject to, you know, it, it's got to be included with a social responsible message, a direct uh, call to action. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, it's 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We'll get to gambling here in a second. Uh, no visual representation of any alcohol product. Maybe on a player's headwear, apparel, golf bag, or golf equipment. So you can't have like a liquor bottle. On Which there. is interesting because there's there's shirts out there that have you know like martini glasses or kind of repeating logos here and there you know none of that and it was the same thing later on with like gambling you can't have cards or dice on yeah. anything so like for Vegas you know if, if one of the putter manufacturers wanted to do a special edition head cover with playing cards on it or dice on it that would be 
Well, shit. Not now allowed. that I think about it, the Troopus Callaway balls with the diamonds and the spades and all that stuff, that's, huh. That's interesting. Interesting. I haven't seen any tour players use those. but uh, you, And you cannot display more than one name, brand, logo uh, of any alcohol company on, on headwear, apparel, any of that. So Shout out to Honest Abe. For his, yeah. Uh, his Mezcal. His Mezcal. That's right. <laughs> which, not even the official Mezcal of the PJ Tour, which was a, such a slap in the face. Which I also was surprised that the Mick Ultra does not have like exclusive beer rights. I guess maybe I shouldn't be. They're not like a FedEx level sponsor, but you know what I mean? Like you can have other beer sponsors, right? I just don't, I feel like yeah. I don't see a lot of beer sponsors like on guys. Like Amstel with Phil. Um, yeah. I think something that, that was super interesting too was it seemed like beer and wine were relatively kind of anyone's game as far as tournaments are concerned. I think this was later on, but tournaments must get written dispensation from the tour to serve liquor. In, in spots yes so so it's very it's a lot lot more heavily regulated than beer and wine as far mm -hmm. as the, the pga tour is concerned which i'm sure like liquor license stuff for for things like that just is liability too, yeah, yeah probably a lot more difficult and whatnot the, the the gambling stuff oh my god they are chasing their tail in this section i am up. so confused on this whole section it is just they've got it out for bet 365 <laughs> <laughs> A player may have sponsorships by casinos and other legal gambling companies, except for a sponsorship in the United States by a company whose primary purpose is sports betting, as reasonably determined by the PGA Tour. For example, a player may have a worldwide sponsorship by MGM Resorts or Caesars, or a sponsorship outside the United States by Bet365, but not a sponsorship in the United States by Bet365. So again, to illustrate a player could have an agreement for Bet365 to use his name and likeness in an ad for its sportsbook that runs in Asia as long as it does not run in the United States and there's no promotion or activation in the United States. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the following terms. Uh, all sponsorships by gambling companies require the prior approval of the PGA Tour. All sponsorships must be submitted to the PGA Tour Competitions Department in advance for review and approval. Which I love the idea of Charlie Hoffman submitting to the PGA Tour monkey knife fight uh, and, and having to get approved. Is that a gambling company? I, some kind of gaming of some so. kind, yeah. Uh, Originally, I think it was a Simpsons joke, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the gambling company must be in compliance with all applicable gambling laws. Listen, for sure, yeah. of course. We don't want scumbags out there running around. Daily fantasy companies, example, DraftKings and FanDuel, are treated as gambling companies for purposes of this policy, but not companies whose primary purpose is sports betting, which that, I don't know. I'm a little confused there, but I get it. So they're, allow they're allowed then, obviously? I yes. mean, Bryson's got his, his yes. big DraftKings so logo. They're treated like MGM Resorts and Caesars, yeah. not Bet365. Fuck Bet365 in particular. <laughs> Accordingly, DraftKings and FanDuel are treated for the purposes, uh, yeah, like you just said, not Bet365 million. Seems like the biggest thing is the differentiation between uh, like someone who does some other business in addition to sports betting. So yeah. if, if you're a daily fantasy company, you own or operate hotels and casinos and shows and that sort of thing, you're exempt from this. If you're Bet365, yeah. you're not exempt from this. Get you just got to do something else. You got to have something else under your umbrella. No visual representation, as we said, of any gambling-related product on any headwear, apparel, golf bag, or golf equipment. You can't do more than one gambling-related identifier in the aggregate at any time. 
Got to pick a lane. Got to pick a lane. You can publicly appear and otherwise be used in ads and other promotions for sports betting and daily fantasy, generally excluding ads and other promotions in the United States if the company's primary purpose is sports betting, as reasonably determined by the PGA Tour. Uh, you can promote daily fantasy golf, but not promote betting on golf anywhere in the world. For example, a player may appear in a worldwide ad for MGM Resorts, encouraging co- consumers to download the MGM mobile betting app at a or a worldwide ad for DraftKings, encouraging consumers to play daily fantasy golf, but not an ad to bet specifically on golf, and not an ad in the United States for Bet365. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny that like you can you can advertise for. DraftKings Sportsbook, like it, not their daily fantasy. You can you can advertise for that, but you can't you can't do anything else. Do it's, they do that though? I, and now that I think about it, is the DraftKings Sportsbook part of the or is it like it's always fantasy games that they're? I mean, it says above though, like yeah. you can do DraftKings or DraftKings Sportsbook, but not huh. William Hill or Bet three sixty five. Maybe it's just like you have to spend money with the tour to be allowed. Maybe that's like. The difference in three sixty five bet three sixty five does not, um, huh? But and they've and they've figured out all right bet three like they don't have daily fantasy so we we that's yeah. the delineation that's where we can get around this. I also thought it was interesting they can't make any money based on 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 the handle. Yeah, on any there's no revenue share of any kind with any with any gambling companies, which that makes a lot of sense. Logo, mark, size, location, and quantity. So this this was a fun section in particular uh i've always wondered why players aren't plastered with more ads and it turns out there's rules all names brands logos and other marks and identifiers on a player's apparel headwear golf bag golf equipment must be in good taste as to content size location and quantity as reasonably determined by the pga tour and mark may not exceed three by five inches so we're back on the speed thing with the big x on his back i don't know if that qualifies as something different if that's was that a logo? Was that I don't know exactly what that was. You probably but. argue that that was a stylistic, you know, element of the shirt versus. But yeah, I mean, three by five. How big is that Sebastian Munoz flex seal? <laughs> exactly. If you're if you're like a manufacturer, how have you not made a game out of just trying to to break every one of these rules? Right. Right. And just like seeing how far you can push it, what you can get away with. Ah, we snuck that one in last week. And then it just becomes like, well, you let us do this. You know, at Byron Nelson, we had this shirt. What's what's wrong with this one? I, I, I would, I think, well, get pretty good measure out of that. The repeating logos is kind of a way to get around that, right? Yeah. Or if a guy's wearing something that has a bunch of swooshes all over it, or I mean, but I know. I'm wondering, can they do that? Now that I think about it, do they do shirts with a bunch of swooshes? I don't think you can do that. I think they did hats with those, didn't they? I don't know. Or like, I mean, I, I know, know. I know double swooshes on them. I know penguins. Penguins done that. It's three inches tall. That penguin on Cam Smith, right? You know, which it's like, hey, use your space. Come get me. It's a billboard. Find me. Yeah, it's 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 within the regs. Marks on upper torso apparel, including shirts, sweaters, outerwear, and upper torso underwear, but excluding for clarity belts and headwear may appear only at the following seven locations, right and left breast, right and left sleeve, right and left collar, and the yoke of the back just below the collar. Only one mark may appear at each such location, i.e. seven logos total are permitted for upper torso apparel. Shout out to Zach Johnson. Which I was going to say, it'd be good to see who's really maxing it out. <laughs> Which I feel like I've seen tour pros with two logos on their back before, but and that's a big LPGA thing. A lot of the LPGA, Huge LPGA. players have yeah. marks on their back, but... Uh, marks on belts may appear only on the belt buckle or front buckle area. Only one mark may appear on a belt. So 
it's it's a gentleman's game. That's yeah. an interesting thing though. Like what you know, what is what is a mark on a belt? Like what if a guy wears a Smathers and Branson belt? Yeah. What's mm. a technical mark versus mm. I don't know if that's allowed. Yeah, Anthony Kim, you're only allowed one big sixty nine belt buckle. You couldn't wear one in the back <laughs> if you wanted to. Uh, marks on lower torso apparel, including pants and outerwear, uh, but again, excluding belts and footwear, may appear only at the following locations, the right or left back pocket area, but not both back pocket areas, and below the right or left knee, but not below both knees. Only one mark may appear at each such location. Two logos total are permitted for lower torso apparel. I'd love to see somebody with a big-ass like logo on their back right behind their knee <laughs> i've seen a couple there's a like under armor's got some some stuff that's some logoed at the bottom yeah I, mean, I know like the yeah. lululemon or under yeah. armor you've got those little little marks there but i'm talking yeah. about like the three by five you know let's max it out yeah so anyways that section is not too lengthy but i've I found all that interesting and they they give they give the commissioner an out here the location of the marks is otherwise not restricted but all marks must satisfy the good taste requirements set forth above. So we're, we're bringing it back to, hey, we just laid out all these objective guidelines. But, yo, if, if it subjectively just doesn't jive with us, yeah, we can do away with it. Because, yeah, there's nothing like there's no there's no porn rules or anything in there. But I'm guessing that's good. That rule is going to catch all for, for that. But anyways, also right. worth pointing out, no, no marks on the butt as well you know you can't can't get any words across across your butt <laughs> hate that yeah just you know pointing yeah. that out ha on one side sure enough ppy right there <laughs> on the other so uh, moving on appearance fees are not allowed in any way shape or form uh they spell out all the all the ways you would try to get around it but are Which, not allowed this feels like total bullshit because you look at a company like rbc yeah it's like hey it, this is baked into your appearance is is or your your endorsement is you have to appear at these at these you know RBC sponsored events. Yeah, which I wonder if those are even explicit or if it's very like man we'd we sure would love it if you if you yeah. played the RBC Heritage like that would really that would be really cool. We can't we can't ask you we can't require you to do that, but man we really would like that if you signed this deal. It would be in your best interest. <laughs> yeah, um, this was interesting just to see kind of how they how they lay it all out and how they you know they say. Uh, you know, host organization, um, any any event or activity conducted from Monday of tournament week through the fo- the day following the con- the conclusion of the tournament. So tournament period or in general proximity, but that kind of gives gives some wiggle room outside of that. Yeah, so, but you couldn't come and like play a Monday event for two hundred thousand dollars. Like you know yeah, what I mean, like yeah. a, a special separate pro am almost kind of thing. Um I think that's what that means. But if you wanted to come in Sunday, do do a clinic for for a million bucks. You know. And if you happen to stay for the tournament, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. It basically just reads like, yo, like don't don't make this like complete quid pro quo. Yeah. Disguise it a little bit, right? Exactly. On the FedEx Cup stuff, it uh you know, not a lot in the section that we don't already know other than I I don't recall if I've seen an updated version of the payouts with how much is paid in cash and how much is deferred. I know this was a big thing when it, when the FedEx Cup first came out, it was flipped almost entirely the other way. Almost all the money was deferred and players bitched, uh, you know, that the, they were advertising paying out $10 million to the winner when in reality you were getting $1 million and nine of it was deferred. Uh, Some of the guys making the deferred money were, I mean, that deferred money is like insane Oh, now. God, they got to have... 
it's got to be worth so much more now. Now the big bonus is paid out mostly in cash. $14 million in cash for first place, and $1 million of that is deferred. Uh, second place gets $4 million cash, $1 million deferred, and so on. Uh, starting with 11th place, your bonus is more deferred than it is in cash, and then everyone that finishes 31st or lower, uh, any FedEx Cup money you get is all deferred. So $34 million goes out in cash, and $26 million is deferred, grand total of $60 million of FedEx Cup money. Which this is really where I'm super curious, and this, and this goes back to made cuts and the way the pension works and all that, and you know, five years and you're fully vested. There's this whole other side of, you know, probably the the members only handbook here that's like only published for them. But I'd be fascinated to know, all right, how much goes in, you know, how much goes into your pension for a made cut, how much vests, all this stuff, and then you know, what does that look like? What are your investment vehicles that you can put that pension into all that kind of stuff Hmm. so which uh, again just you know i know this is stuff we know but just seeing it all spelled out again you know the the 60 million dollars a year paid out just in bonus money on top of all the prize money and all the purses is very like yeah you're not getting a fucking ups sponsorship man like (laughs) like i think that's pretty reasonable yeah yeah, we're good here and on top of the regular season like the ten million dollar regular season bonus pool too. That's the Comcast business. Yeah, whatever that is now. Which it's super interesting. Like uh, reading this now, and it's still it's still listing out like the the a military tribute at the Greenbrier. I just saw the other day that Jim Justice is is I think in arrears. He's personally guaranteed loans for up to seven hundred million dollars that are defaulting. There was a big I think it was Credit Suisse. Like there's a big massive black box there they're starting to dig around it's like yo jim justice hasn't paid his bills and i heard that about the pga tour event too like they almost didn't have it he got bailed out by the flood that one year what a man cut you know jump cut to him uh walking around the grandstands <laughs> handing out a hundred dollar bills to all the people <laughs> when they made those aces i mean it sounds like sounds like jim justice could have gotten nabbed for conduct unbecoming mm-hmm. right? for sure well, I guess a lot of that stuff or was done. Pri- a lot of it was done in private, though. <laughs> Definitely bad checks. <laughs> yeah, which I think kind of takes us into the next. That's where we get to the the check cashing policy here. Uh, it, after this, kind of next up, and then we get into, you know, a couple awards. The Courage Award. I was before we came on. I was I was suggesting maybe TC should put his name in the in the ring for uh, PJ Tour Courage Award. I know they don't give it out every year, but just what he's done playing lefty uh really uh, i think that's that's an interesting uh conversation there i think they should have to give out a courage award every year it says in the (laughs) in their discretion the commissioner and the player directors may determine that the circumstances do not warrant the selection of an award recipient in any given year which you know i think that's bs everybody's showing courage every year may and be in Differing, I mean, levels and amounts. The, the PXG is adding troops every year. They, there should be an endless, endless amount of people that they could honor every year. Uh, biggest thing that I noticed in this awards section, I never realized this. So the Varden Trophy, uh, touring professional with the lowest adjusted scoring average, minimum sixty rounds, um, no incomplete rounds. You can't, uh, you can't like, you know, WD during the middle of a round, and you are ineligible for the Varden Trophy. At that point, I I read that as I think that just doesn't count. count. No, any any player with an incomplete round is ineligible to win the Varden Trophy. I think that is I think that is to you know guard against somebody trying to Mm. protect the kind of protect the points, protect the the uh, 
the scoring average. You know, let's say you make a you make a twelve or something like that. And you withdraw. And you withdraw, and it's not an official round. It doesn't go into your scoring average, but you know, there's some funny business there. So I applaud them for putting wow. this in there. That that's is, great. Which like that was had was manipulated somewhat right at the Aeon Risk Reward on the LPGA tour. Who was it? That God, was, that was, I forget who that was. That was sick. She like sat out an event because she was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make more money from winning the Aeon Risk Reward Challenge than playing the event." Now, the Byron Nelson Award, which is also the player with the lowest adjusted scoring average, uh, minimum fifty rounds, you you do not have that qualification in there. Mm. So you can you can withdraw all you want. Uh, so the fact that there's two, there's that not there's, a bonus for this award, there's two right? trophies or two awards that basically reward the same thing. I think the Varden trophy is, is more of, uh, <laughs> is the Varden trophy more of like a, uh, USGA or an RNA thing. I don't know. It just seems weird to have like two awards for basically the same thing, but it would be who, very who, interesting to see if there were, if there were two different, you know, two different winners of those two awards in the same year. Now that you say it, I'm, I'm kind of in on somebody. <laughs> Trying to manipulate the the Byron Nelson Award, He'll just WD it every time they don't have it going. I think that would be sweet. I mean, you still got to play fifty or sixty rounds, though. You know. All right, so that takes us to the big one. This is uh, eligibility for tournament play. This is who's allowed to actually play in the tournaments. This is how they fill up the fields. Uh, it, it's it's a massive hornet's nest. It's like twenty pages of the of the document. Uh, but again, as we said up front, I mean it kind of makes sense. It's not like you just call, you know, there's 125 guys who can who can show up. And if 119 make them that week, we'll just have a tournament with 119. Obviously that's not how it goes. So there's a bunch of uh things that go into this. We'll just kind of hit some of the high points because it's uh it's complicated. But essentially, the way it works uh, is that there's a priority ranking. There is a bunch of different categories, uh, and in in the in the sheet, it basically says elig- You know, the first people who get in are eligible players, listed in the order of the priority that should be used uh, to complete the starting field in open co-sponsored tournaments. So important to remember. This doesn't include invitationals. That's events like Colonial and uh, Riviera and Arnold Palmer and uh, Memorial. Memorial a, bu- a bunch of yeah, a bunch of those. These are these are just your kind of you know your 3M, your Rocket Mortgage, uh, Travelers, you know, kind of events like that. So I'll just hit the high points here. Um, and again, these are these are in order. So this is the way they fill the field in order. First one, we mentioned this up front, winners of the PGA Championship or U.S. Open prior to 1970 or in the last five seasons. Uh, so essentially, of course, yeah, the last the last five U.S. Open winners, last five Players' Championship winners, last five Masters winners, last five Open winners, last five, two, or I'm sorry, uh, last two Tour Championship winners, uh, all the WGC winners from the previous year, uh, the last three Arnold Palmer Invitational winners, last three Memorial winners. I believe this has now been changed to the last three Genesis winners or going forward. That's a three-year exemption going as back, well. It's, it's the last uh, three years worth of WGC winners, not just oh, last my, year. My bad. I, I'm, I'm going too fast already. Thank you. The winner of the FedEx Cup. FedEx Cup is a five-year exemption. Uh, I didn't realize. So I guess winning the money list gets you... Uh, no, just, gets you, just from four, just from yeah, 2014, 2014 through 2016. Well, yeah, I, I didn't know they, how they that got worked. rid of the money list as a qualification to keep your card. It, it used to be a uh, top 125 FedEx and also separately top 125 money list. 
Oh, right, right, right. And they got okay. rid of the money list as a as an extra way to keep your card. So I'm guessing that's a grandfathered in thing. And it'll probably it'll probably lapse after 2024, yeah. 2025, right? So uh, after that, and then of course we have you know if you win a PGA Tour event, uh, you get a two year exemption. That's that's well documented. Some of the more interesting ones. So there's an either or here. There's a couple different exemptions. If you're on you know the top, you hear people talk about career money list exemptions. If you're in the top 25 on the career money list, you get one year. If you're in the top 50 on the career money list, you get another year. Uh, or TC's favorite, if you've made 300 cuts or more on the PGA Tour. Uh, that's also another year. So that's that's a somewhat controversial one that it seems like some people who made 300 cuts who are on the PGA Tour policy board probably snuck into there. But uh, there, there's a couple interesting things in there. Like there's some language about, you know, it seems like the, the commission has really got his eye on some of these guys. There was some strong language around like, if you use that 300 cuts exemption and you're trying to file for a medical extension, like there, there's a bunch of stuff in there about like <laughs> how much documentation you have. The commissioner has final discretion over whether, you know, basically whether you can suspend that 300 cuts made exemption year, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. This is such a hornet's nest. You could, I mean, I could foresee in 10 years, we could be looking at, uh, at something where it's career FedEx cup points. And they just accumulate sure. everybody's FedEx Cup points, <laughs> and then, you know, there's another exemption for in your, if you're in the top 30 career for FedEx Cup points. Which we should probably look at awarding FedEx Cup points retroactively to, like, you know, <laughs> Arnold Palmer won six FedEx Cups, and and <laughs> that's the analysis I I really want to see. <laughs> I think that'd be really good stuff. Moving on. Invitations of the tournament sponsor, sponsor exemptions, a maximum of eight players, which may include, I didn't realize this. It says if you are an amateur getting a sponsor exemption, your handicap is supposed to be zero strokes or less. Is that common knowledge? I did not know that. Uh, Because that makes sense. In other words, is Tony Romo a scratch or better? I did. I I was not. I think he's, I think he's scratch or better, but. I mean, he shot seventy in a tour event. I think that's you got to be scratcher better to do that. Listen, I'm just just looking out. You but know, I just, just want to say, keeping an eye out. on the cuts made thing. Like, there's also a lifetime membership category, right? Where if you win a certain amount of times on fifteen times like on 20, tour, I think. twenty, like I think twenty, yeah, like, that you're pretty much like a made man. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's plenty of ways to become a made man. Three, making three hundred cuts is so <laughs> arbitrary. And I remember when they changed that as the JJ Henry rule. I know you were alluding to the name, but. It was all like, yeah, you know what? I, he said, like, I, I deserve it. I was like, I think 300 cuts, mate, is the reward. Like, yeah, I don't think, I think you need exactly to be rewarded right. for that. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think there's big rewards in in winning and uh, keeping your card. Like, I think if you're making that many cuts, like, you probably should keep the card, right? I mean, I think that's, yeah, yeah eventually, like, the career just ends, man. Like, that's, that's the way it goes. But, mm. yeah, anyways. The next one is kind of the one that Tron alluded to earlier. Very vague. Uh two foreign players designated by the commissioner. Uh, I don't totally know what that means. I think if you're, if you're essentially like not, this says note PJ tour, PJ tour champions, corn Ferry tour, Latino America, Canada, and PJ tour China members are not eligible for such an exemption. So I think this is kind of, you know, if you're a teenage phenom in Japan, essentially you can apply for this exemption and the commissioner can really like bump you up ahead of a bunch of other guys on the, on the priority list is kind of the way it reads, mm. which is interesting. Hmm. 
Uh, then we get into some PGA national professional championship stuff. Uh, some winners of the PGA local PGA section, current PGA section player of the year. This is all the because, Omar Uresti stuff. <laughs> there's a couple, couple of those uh, top four finishers at open qualifying. Uh, that those are your your Monday qualifiers. Uh, yada yada yada. We get we get into a, a couple more for <laughs> this is a good one for particular tournaments. One uh, previous winners of the PGA Tour co-sponsored tournament with the same tournament sponsor. Uh, so if the same tournament sponsor has has stuck on, apparently that impacts uh, whether you get into the tournament or not. Uh, there are some qualifications, you know, much like the 1970 stuff. You have to have made a cut by a certain time. All that stuff. It's just so uh, outrageous that you can. Let's say you won a tournament like three years ago, but the but the 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 change and you're not eligible. But the change in sponsorship happened in the last three years versus somebody won something 22 years ago, but still the same sponsor, man. You're come on back. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. So then we get into lifetime members is next. Uh, so that's the people who've won 20 times. So that's what that's 18 different categories. <laughs> And now, next we get into, okay, now we're into the top 125. So after all those guys have gotten in, now now we're into the top 125. Then we get into On top the previous tw- year's FedEx from Cup the, list. From the previous year's list, right. Which is where when we get to Wyndham and everybody's, you know, trying to lock in their their top 125 for next year, that's that's trying to lock in their their status. But just worth noting that it, the current FedEx Cup standing does not get you in events. Like Correct. Corey Connors was in the top ten of the FedEx Cup last year Which, at one point and, and wasn't getting in events. It's wild that like the 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 JJ Henry exemption gets you in ahead of a life member. Like let's say, yeah, that's fucking <laughs> insane. That. Yeah. Like those guys should be at the top. Like you're like you're the made man. You're the life member, right? I think Which, you, uh, there's you, no event where yeah. both of those guys are not going to get in. Like you're right? if you're but, in the exemption categories, you get in any event except for like the math. True, you know? but it's it's but just kind of a yeah, you're just very, philosophical very right. thing, you know. Yes, totally. Then we get into you know top 125 non-members. Um, so this is you know basically I think guys who have earned enough points to have been top 125 last year but weren't membership. Blah blah blah. Uh, then we get into major medical, which I'm honestly not even going to dive into because no. it's four and a that's half its, pages. That's its own podcast. It, it truly is. It might be its own series. That that is unbelievably dense. And stuff. there's minor medical too, and you know, and then you've, you've got all sorts of commissioner discretion now on that stuff. Yeah, so all those guys have gotten in. So this is where I think some players start to get a little frustrated. Is okay, so now all those guys have gotten in. Now we're down to uh, the person who won the 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 guy who won the Corn Ferry points list, the guy who won the Corn Ferry finals, like those guys, the the top dogs from the Corn Ferry tour the previous year. Then we get into top 10 from the previous tournament. Okay, now if there's any guys who were not otherwise exempt that finished top 10 last week, now we'll get them in. Then we get into the top 25 uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour from the previous year. So this is why when you hear guys, you know, the guys who have this this top 25 on the, both on the, I think on the regular season and on the, the points, you know, for the finals last year, when they still can't get into events, it's because all these guys are, up ahead of them and including a lot of the major medicals and, and stuff like that. So and we're not even talking about reshuffling. Like that's a, that's probably right, a different that's a whole other thing. as well. This is just, yeah. this is just the initial list and then they'll reshuffle within that category basically. So next, next on the, on the call sheet, the phone tree is uh 
players, the battlefield promotion guys. If you are, you know, Steven Yeager, if he ever gets that, that third win, I know he keeps losing in playoffs, but if he gets that third win, he would slot in next behind all those guys. Then <laughs> minor medicals, then minor medicals, which again, we're going to skip because that that's very complex. Then we get into, okay, now we're, we're the next 25 guys down on the FedEx cup list. So 126 to 150. Then we get into uh, a whole other, like now we're, we're back in another kind of medical, medical, like non-exempt medical family crisis, mandatory obligation extension holders. You can read about that at your own leisure. Uh, then we're into past champions, team tournament winners, and veteran members, uh, not within the top 150 on the FedEx Cup points list. Then we're into the past champions category. So the past champions category is is kind of interesting, I think. That's one of those ones that, you know, you kind of hear people talk about. And basically what that is, is if not otherwise eligible and if needed to fill the field, past champion members in the order of the total number of PJ Tour co-sponsored or approved tournaments won, excluding team or other tournaments, not awarding official victory status. If two or more members are tied based on the number of tournament tournaments won, which of course, a lot of these guys are, you know, one win uh, people, the member who is highest on the official PGA tour career money list shall be eligible. So the reason I think it's interesting to go through all this stuff is to basically look at, you know, what happened in at, at Congaree this week and some of the people who got into this field, cause it's trust me, like it sounds absurd, but it comes into play. Like these, these things are here for a reason. And occasionally like they, they get used and we're, honestly, we're not even, there's another, what, one, two, three, four, another four or five categories behind past, past champions. So it's, it is a dense, dense list, man. It's, it's crazy. And that's where I was saying, if you go into the inside the field every week on the PGA tour, they let, li- they list this all out in order and you can see exactly how guys slot in and it's, it's you know they're they're pulling guys from the 126 to 150 on uh, this week's Palmetto Championship and then uh, like all this you know Omar got in DA points George McNeil Andres Romero uh, from the re reorder category uh, categories 34 through 38 they're all in the field this week um, it's just basically if you if you've played on the PGA Tour at some point you're eligible uh, in some way to get in some of these events but and and I feel like they're adding certain things here and there like certain little qualifiers hey must have played in corn Ferry finals in one of the last three years to be eligible for this that sort of thing i feel like they're trying to wean some of these guys off um and then we've got all sorts of you know pro-am eligibility medical provisions non-member qualifying which is a hot button right now with zalatoris um you know i think everybody everybody's relatively familiar with that and then other eligibility requirements i thought this was interesting the one new event played per season requirement, um, which, you know, uh, I think during one, during the current PGA tour season, any regular member of the PGA tour is required to play in at least one tournament. He has not played in previously during any of the preceding four seasons. So, um, Uh, I'm interested to see if that's been tracked somewhere, you know, I'd like to like to see who owes an event still or who hasn't done it. Cause it's, it's a, uh, I think that's a, almost that's coming close to being four years old now. So yeah, uh, and it seems like it's been successful. I mean, it seems oh, like it's, a good, it's a great rule. Yeah, good rule. All right, we're getting down there, guys. What else? Uh, what else? I I've got to. Yeah, I think we can skip through some of this stuff. There's a lot of like fill your paperwork out stuff. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty. Did you want to talk pro am, Steve? 
I just, there's a couple of weird things that stuck yeah. out to me about pro-ams. Uh, one, the max number of strokes you get at a pro-am is 21. Yeah, I didn't know that. I uh, didn't know that. And if you're a plus handicap, you go to zero. You go to zero, it, which... Exactly. That... So you, if you're playing a pro-am, don't bring really shitty players. It's not going to help you because they're going to get capped at 21. Bring really, really good players because your plus fours are, are playing off zero. So that uh, seems ripe for manipulation. I hate that. I also thought it was interesting. Uh, they, they, they called out uh, an amateur who's playing in the, in the actual tournament. I had this as well. Uh, is, is allowed to play from the professional tees during yes. the pro-am. Mm. In case there's any, con- any confusion. <laughs> <laughs> there, you know who's who's really taking it on the chin in these pro-ams is uh, PGA professionals. Also, they get kind of the worst of all worlds here, where uh, they have to play off zero. <laughs> so no matter what their handicap is, they any PGA pro has to play off zero. Uh, but they play the amateur tees, so they play up. But their scores are not allowed to count for the team score. So I don't. <laughs> it seems like again there must have been some some people. Uh, Really, really running up the score uh, on that. Possibly Omar uh, on that uh, on that front as well, just he's, cleaning up in, in pro He's probably already tried to explore that space, and I had to cut, <laughs> had to cut cut down on him. Um, uh, one, another thing I thought was interesting. Uh, sometimes they they had this rule in there. Sometimes uh, they can't safely use a forward tee for women. Uh, it might it might be infeasible for the way the golf course is set up. It might be, you know, there might be crosswalks. There might be like, who knows? Sometimes the forward tee is just not able to be used when that's the case. The women have to play back at the, the amateur tees, but they get six more strokes on their handicap, uh, with a max of 27. So mm, keep that in mind. If, if you're having any female pro-am partners, going back to pro-ams, what's the, um, second, a celebrity professional. What's a celebrity professional? Yeah, I'm not sure how that. I, I don't know what that is. They, There's they a couple things that, that. Yeah, uh, I think it was, I, I was basically hoping, like if Peyton Manning shows up, you can add an extra person to your group or something. I don't. I don't know exactly. Oh, gotcha. I was a little confused there. I uh, I was kind of hoping there would be some some details on like you know guys get paid to play in the pro ams and they they get paid to play in the Monday pro ams and and a lot of that stuff, but uh, that that wasn't in there. PJ Tour links. Yeah, With, um, uh, I thought withdrawals. Interesting. Fatigue is not a not a valid not, reason. Not a valid reason. That's a note that that's well. been added in there of like so that uh, on, on that note, I was wondering about DJ withdrawing from AT and T, Bryson withdrawing from RBC week of without really specific reasons. What what the punishment there was, or why that was allowed to happen, or that that stuck out to me after reading the withdrawal policy. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in that that best effort. Uh, category in making a commitment to participate in a PJ tour event, uh, a player thereby obligates himself to attempt to exercise his maximum golf skill to play in a professional manner, which is basically like, yeah, you can't just WD for no reason. And there's a lot of stuff in here too, about when you do WD after the tournament starts, it has to be for a valid reason. You got to prevent, you know, you got to, uh, the player shall immediately notify the PJ tour of his reason for withdrawal. And within a period of 14 days, submit written evidence supporting such reason to the commissioner. Uh, so yeah, a lot of just like, you can't just WD for no reason. Yeah. And if it's for injury or illness, it must include additional documentation from a medical professional substantiating the nature of the ailment and the prescribed treatment. Need a doctor's note. Not necessarily a doctor, just a medical professional. That's true. true. Could be a, you know, chiropractor, uh, physician assistant. Yeah. Which I wonder how like mental health fits into this, right? Like if you, good question. If you're just like, I don't know, 
if you're totally completely fried, yeah, you got to show up and play. I don't think that serves anyone's interest. But I think the um, the the last one that really kind of stuck out to me was the conflicting events, media and marketing rights, and they just say over and over and over again. Note: No conflicting event releases will be approved for tournaments held in North America. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting, and it's uh, you know, to fulfill its for the tour to fulfill its contractual obligations concerning representative fields, no member shall participate in any other golf tournament or an event on on a date which a PGA Tour co-sponsored tournament or event for which a member is exempt is scheduled, except for the following tournaments. So, uh, it's a tournament or an event where the member obtains an advance written release for his per- participation from the commissioner. So if you're a PGA Tour member and not a European Tour member, from what how I read that, you need to get a written approval from the uh, commissioner to play in the Bonesaw Invitational. Yeah, there, there's there's a couple, couple uh, exceptions to that. Yeah. A tournament uh, or event co-sponsored or approved by and held in the territory of the PGA section with which the PGA Tour member is affiliated. So that's, you know, shout out to Omar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the PGA National Professional Championship and PGA Winter Tournaments for Professionals, which I would love to see somebody skipping, you know, <laughs> skipping the Honda Classic to go up and play in, you know, their their section event. And then golf tournaments on the home circuit of a foreign player who is a PGA Tour member. And home circuit is, uh, that you know, the, the country where the player is a citizen and that, you know, that that circuit plays some portion of its schedule in that country. The one place that seemed a little interesting that that wasn't really covered as much was the Middle East on this, right? Where there's, it's kind of... Well, I think it's, so like if you are from Europe and you play the European tour primarily, that circuit, you don't need a, you don't, like Paul Casey does not need a waiver to go play the European tour event. I think that's where that's coming from. But if you're American... But it says geographical region, like, like home circuit, geographical region for the... PGA Tour or the, the PGA European Tour countries with the, within the continent of Europe plus Morocco and Tunisia. Hmm. Interesting. Does not does not give any you know carve out for the Middle East there. Huh. It's a, that's Which a, even if it did, I feel like Phil's always considered Riyadh a second home. <laughs> Anyways, I feel like he would, that's his. That's uh, where yeah, he's I really felt at home. That's his home circuit. It, it, yeah, I feel like he'd get a pass there. So each tour member is eligible for three releases per season based on participation in 15 PGA Tour co-sponsored events. Um, you, the request can be denied, and I have it somewhere in here that you could basically, like, after three times of going to an event, they can make you play the opposite field, the opposite event. So if you go play three bone saws, they can be like, all right, well, now you have to play Phoenix one year if you want to keep continue to play in that. I may have that wrong. I'm paraphrasing yeah. that, but it's something along those lines. And then, I, I think another thing that's interesting about this is how it pertains to like some of these exhibition matches and why those always seem to fall on weeks where there is no PJ tour event, right. you know, because the PJ tour obviously has to have a pretty big hand in releasing guys to go play in those. Um, it's not like those organizers, at least right now, it's not like they can just kind of go willy nilly and, and say, Hey, you know, we're doing this the Thursday of Memorial, like tough shit you know, this player said he wants to play. It doesn't, as of right now, it doesn't really work that way. So it, it's, again, more of a, a, a symphony that has to keep uh, keep conducting and all these pieces need to keep fitting together. And it's not only, like, in any week when a PGA Tour, PGA Tour Champions, Corn Ferry Tour, Latino America, Canada, or PGA Tour China co-sponsored tournament is scheduled, 
No PGA Tour member shall participate in any golf activity, including public exhibitions, clinics, and pro-ams in the same geographic area as any of those events without the prior approval of the commissioner. Mm. Which is actually interesting that the match 4.0 is going to be during a tournament week. Uh, I'm guessing they needed to, you know, siphon off some charity money to the tour to make that happen or, or something yeah, like I'm that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Media and marketing rights, uh, the television, digital, radio, motion picture, and all other media rights of all players participating in PGA Tour co-sponsored and coordinated tournaments, pro-ams, or any other golf event conducted in conjunction with PGA Tour co-sponsored, blah, 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 or any portion thereof are hereby granted and assigned to the PGA Tour. Based upon this grant and assignment, all such rights shall be the property and expressly reserved by the PGA Tour, and any use thereof without the express written consent of PGA Tour shall be forbidden. That is all-encompassing. That, that very much is. But also, whenever I hear express written consent, I always expect to hear Major League Baseball after that. <laughs> but that, that's just a, a mental thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's I mean, that's kind of the gold, uh, the gold plated statement. That's why all this stuff works the way it does. And then there's a couple more after that that go into instructional stuff, um, the premiere of stuff, you know, kind of getting into on-demand stuff and how you how you treat on-demand stuff since it's not really live or anything like that. But as long as it's not debuted during live coverage, then you can. This you is know. this is what applies to us with Wild World. No yeah. no tour members shall participate in any live or recorded golf program without the prior written approval of the commissioner, ex- except that this requirement shall not apply to PGA Tour co-sponsored, coordinated, or, or wholly instructional programs or personal appearances on interview or guest shows. So. Don't need approval to go on a podcast, but if you're playing golf on camera and we're gonna and it's gonna be debuted opposite even a recorded uh, tape delayed uh, you know a re a rerun of of PJ Tour coverage that is not allowed. Which again, like it sounds absurd, but it especially when you see all like the Premier Golf League, you know. Yeah. Stuff it's, like it, it makes sense why these provisions are in place. It's not like they haven't thought about the idea of, you know, oh, well, like if another, you know, upstart league comes in, they can, yeah. these guys can just play in their free time. Like, of course, they're trying to, to lock that down. So, it sounds it, absurd on the granular level of, yes, this includes wild world of golf, but like <laughs> <laughs> expanding it out to what it really means, yes, it makes a lot of sense. And then you've got, I mean, there's all sorts of little things like what, what's this, this fairway agreement? You familiar with that at all? I don't think I got that far. I think by the time I got to this point, uh, the, fa- the fairway manual, tournament courtesy vehicle agreement. I mean, there's there's all sorts. Article six. There's all sorts of <laughs> just crazy under the radar shit here. Like I, you you could keep digging on this for years. Yeah. You could teach you could teach law you know law school classes in this. Public comments, public attacks. That was the last real thing I had highlighted. The favorable, I, I thought that, yeah, I thought that was kind of our. I, I think that's our 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 grand finale, right? I mean, yeah. what could be more topical than than this with all the Brooks stuff going on? The favorable public reputation of PGA Tour, its players, and its tournaments are valuable assets and create tangible benefits for all PGA Tour members. Accordingly, it's an obligation of membership to refrain from making comments that unreasonably attack or disparage others, including but not limited tournaments, sponsors, fellow members slash players, and or PGA Tour. Speech that could be reasonably viewed as hateful, abusive, obscene, and or divisive is expressly prohibited. Responsible expressions of legitimate disagreement with PGA Tour policies are not prohibited. However, public comments that a member knows or should reasonably know will harm the reputation or financial best interest of PGA Tour, a fellow member player, a tournament sponsor, or a charity are expressly covered by this section. Any violation of this section shall be considered conduct unbecoming of a professional. Which 
like got him, you know, Brooks had to get fined like crazy, right? For the for the Bryson stuff. But I would think, I, I mean, Mick it's, Ultra probably just paid the fine for him. And, it's indirect enough that I, yeah. you know, it's not, I don't know. If you're reading that to the, to the latter, yeah. just yeah. like anything that will cause harm to the reputation of a fellow member, like how could you possibly, for, for better or worse, no matter what you think about, you know, who deserved it or whether yeah. it's right or wrong, like, I don't know how you could possibly look at Brooks essentially saying like, good stuff. You guys were yelling at, at Bryson and you got kicked out. Like that's sick. Uh, I don't know how you could not argue that that causes harm to Bryson's reputation. This is the class acts article and yep. the entire manual. I going back up. I thought it was interesting further. A player should not do any of the following gamble or play cards on the premises yeah. where a PGA tour uh, tournament is being played associate or having dealings with persons whose activities have involved trafficking or administration of substances or methods prohibited by the PGA Tour anti-doping program, which going back to the cat, Dr. Galea. <laughs> I'm sure think. they handled that, you know, privately. The classes of penalties I found interesting. There's minor penalties. It's a, a fine of not more than 10000 Intermediate penalties are fines between $10,001 and 20000 And then major penalties are penalties in excess of $20,000, suspension from tournament play, or uh, for more than three tournaments and or permanent disbarment from play and PJ Tour co-sponsored or coordinated events. And then there's there's the punishable by death, cashing a, a, bad, a, check. Worthless, a bad check. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was interesting to see. Uh, you know, of course the the tour for basically the reasons kind of outlined in the public comments, public attacks, which is very like, we keep all this stuff uh, in house. We don't need to be sullying the reputation of our league or anybody else, which is why they don't, you know, release any disciplinary stuff. Uh, it was interesting to see that, that intermediate penalties and kind of speculate on how many less than three event suspensions there must be. Right. I mean, and, and just thinking about how, like, you know, if a guy gets suspended for, one or two events like does anybody really notice no i mean yeah you could easily explain it away even three events you can explain it away as an injury or a jet yeah. ski accident or something sure. like that. I, totally hypothetically i yeah. i did uh one sentence i thought was interesting which i read wrong the first time until i i was corrected was uh Respe responsible expressions of legitimate disagreement with PJ tour policies are not prohibited, which at first I was like reading as are not allowed. Like, you know, if you, even if you're totally respectful and you have totally legitimate concerns, don't do that shit either. <laughs> uh, but to their credit, they're saying, no, we we would welcome, welcome a, a very, uh, you know, respectful discourse. Mm. Just so open and honest to PJ. Yeah, I love it. I really That's appreciate great. That. It got more granular than I thought on practice rounds. Yeah, about bunker shots are like, allowed. Yeah, to hit. you can only hit one bunker shot uh, towards the pin. Yeah, uh, more than one chip shot outside a bunker may be played, provided you're not damaging the course. Um, but if there's people waiting, you can't play more than one stroke. Yeah, which I found that interesting. Very long story short, there's a lot of rules for the PGA Tour, and you're welcome to read them anytime you have a question. And at least I think you know we've answered at least some of things, like when things will pop up as to what the rule is, but. Also, there's a million granular things like when sp very specific things happen, we can, you know, consult this this book and and give you the exact answer. So, the uh, I think also just like with with regard to meetings and you know like got to have a quorum, you got to notify everybody, like written notification 
14 days prior you've got to if you don't get the quorum you you know you can't have another meeting for like 10 days it's it's truly hoa shit man the it's, pack we didn't get into any of all that i mean there's there's layers upon layers upon layers appeals and this isn't even the rules of golf this is just player player handbook and conduct and like voting membership reinstatement of voting membership um you know notification of of discipline appeals on discipline termination of membership reinstatement uh all that stuff it's it's a lot going on man a lot going on so, a lot going on anything else in conclusion are we good to wrap this up <laughs> i can't think of anything i think we got it all well co costs and expenses of of, of litigation if you do go oh, to that war, is a cool one if that you do go one. to war with the tour and you lose you gotta pay them back for all their legal fees <laughs> And vice versa. If you win, they'll pay you back. Yeah, yeah. But Good yeah, stuff. I thought that's that was that was delightful because I'm sure they've got some high-priced attorneys. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you made it this far and uh, for indulging us as we uh, dive into the player handbook, hopefully you learned a thing or two and maybe had a laugh or two along the way. And uh, maybe we'll do something similar to this in some other different topic in the future. But uh, back to your regularly scheduled programming this coming week, U.S. Open week, uh, live shows slash podcasts every day. And uh, ready to fire up another major. Seems like we just, just got back from one, but here we go again. So excited. Cheers, boys. Enjoyed it. All right. Good stuff. See you guys. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.